What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. We've got the 2023 NFL Draft reaction today. Going to be, um, hopefully it's not too long. I'm not. We haven't really kind of projected how long it'll be, maybe just over maybe an hour, 90 minutes, something like that. But coming at you guys with um, kind of a first-round overview, uh, maybe a couple you know, maybe a couple teams that had a high second round pick that we liked if we want to kind of throw it in there as well, but um, kind of on a case by case basis, but kind of go over in the first round a little bit, um, give our team, our, our reactions for our team's drafts, uh, maybe some grades for those going to do a Cowboys and a Texans uh, kind of review of their drafts as well, since I know a lot of listeners follow the local teams in Texas. Um, then we're each going to give two teams that we thought kind of uh, had draft classes that we really liked and then two teams that we did that kind of disliked or maybe I um, thought they could have gone different directions or maybe um, didn't get the best value at certain spots. So um, two classes we liked, two classes we disliked to round it out and then um, maybe kind of give a hot take about the draft kind of at the end maybe um, that we've got or a couple, maybe just a prospect that we really like kind of where that guy went, um, kind of see where that kind of takes us. But um, like I said, kind of do an overview of the first round real quick. It was pretty crazy. Um, you know, the first nine or so picks felt like chalk. And then, you know, we were kind of sitting there and after about pick 10 was kind of the first I don't want to say a real surprise, but first kind of pick where you're like, oh, okay, that that's a little bit, uh, a little bit surprising, and then felt like after the pick 11, uh, but pick 12, kind of everything hit the fan. So, um, I'll let Brett kind of give him give his initial thoughts, and then we'll kind of get into the first round of the of the NFL draft. Yeah, definitely a crazy draft as a whole, but especially first round, like we all thought it would be, a record number of total trades throughout the duration of the draft. Um, some fun team fits that I didn't really see or I didn't think would be too realistic when it came down to it. But nonetheless, uh, you know, really fun few days following along all these guys where they're ending up. And I think a lot of good, you know, fits overall, a lot of good picks and some bad ones as well. Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, definitely different than we thought it would go. I kind of always said that it would be chaos and sure enough it was. Um, but you know, it just, Overall, like I said, it was really fun to see kind of where guys went. It was interesting to see how the league felt on some guys. Obviously, a lot of guys slid, um, you know, a lot of big names. And it happens every year. There's there's a few big names that kind of slide down the draft board. And, um, you know, a big one that comes to mind is like Darnell Washington, who was supposed to be, a, you know, a top 30, 40 pick, ends up being picked in the third round at what, pick like 93 by the Steelers. And we'll get into that later. But, um, you know, just, just overall some guys that fell and like curious to see how the league felt on guys. And it really, this year, like the, the statement that everyone kind of been echoing was like, man, it feels like the league and like draft media is really far apart this year. Like we don't really know how the league feels. And it really came true on, on, on Thursday night and, and into, into, a, into Friday night and then early Saturday, uh, during the day. But, um, we'll kind of get going here. I guess let's do eight and eight. Let's just kind of rotate. There's 30, actually 31 picks. We'll do eight, eight, eight and seven. Um, probably makes the most sense here, but. First eight picks, uh, Bryce Young went to the Carolina Panthers at one, kind of expected. C.J. Stroud did go number two to the Houston Texans. Um, kind of was the talk of the town was that they were going to go with an edge, um, you know, leading up to Thursday morning. Then it came out, kind of came out midday Thursday and then right before the draft that, you know, um, it was Tennessee and Houston looking to get up to three because Houston didn't feel comfortable. They, they knew that – well, they knew that t- Tennessee wanted to go up and get uh, a quarterback and they didn't want to let – you know, CJ slipped from their fingers. So took CJ at two. They do end up going up to number three to trade with trade with Arizona at number three to get Will Anderson Jr. out of Alabama. So, um, you know, I like the move from Houston. We'll kind of talk about that in, in a little bit when we get to their draft class specifically. But an aggressive move to get their guy, give up a total pit, a haul of picks. Um, that again, we'll talk about with the, with the when we get into the Texans draft specifically. Uh, but at four, 
Indianapolis Colts go Anthony Richardson. I know I talked a lot about how I thought they'd go Will Levis, um, and that was kind of what everyone thought. And then you can tell uh, a couple hours before when it kind of seemed like Levis, Levis may have been like a draft day pawn, I think is how Todd McShay put it. Um, you know, teams kind of used him uh, to get, you know, kind of not kind of his bait, I guess, to kind of make other teams intrigued and, you know, kind of kind of show their handle what they wanted to do trade wise. Um, at five, the Seahawks took uh, cornerback Devon Witherspoon out of Illinois. Um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of buzz kind of late on that. I still thought they'd go edge, go with like Tyree or maybe they go Carter. But, um, you know, Witherspoon's a great a great choice, make a strength of strength there with the corner room and kind of keep it rolling there. And then the Cardinals. Um, did move back up to number six. They moved down to 12 with the Houston Texans, moved back up to number six overall to get their guy, Paris Johnson Jr. Um, it seems like they wanted all along. They didn't they didn't really want to take him at three. It felt like it would have been early, and then probably didn't feel like they could get him at 12, so they moved back up with the Detroit Lions, who had a doozy of a draft that I'm sure we'll talk about um, their decision-making there at the top. Um, and then at seven, to my heart's dismay, the Raiders took Tyree Wilson at number seven, um, address right at Texas Tech. Um, great selection for them. I think, I think that's a great duo getting him in there with um, with Max Crosby, a guy who I feel like Tyree's ceiling could kind of be is a, is a Max Crosby type guy, really powerful rusher off the edge, um, very physical in, his, in the nature of his game, kind of adds some finesse element there as well. Um, and then Bijan Robinson goes eight to the, to the Atlanta Falcons, something we kind of talked about a bunch, um, but never really knew if it would happen. I've kind of been, kind of been banging the drum that the NFL is going to take him early, and it kind of felt like as we got closer and closer, people seemed to realize like, Hey, like someone's going to take him early. And it felt like it was going to be the Falcons with the way that Arthur Smith wanted to run the ball and wants to run the ball going forward. And um, you know, how he used Derrick Henry in Tennessee is says similar with any, he can use Bijan Robinson in, in Atlanta, just um, with more of an element in the passing game, I think. So um, those are the first eight, like I said, it, it was kind of chalk. I know when we got, you know, about six o'clock, we knew someone was going to go get the third overall pick. We didn't know if it'll be Tennessee or Houston ends up being Houston. So not, not no big surprises here. I, I'll say, um, kind of chalk, kind of the guys we thought would go, maybe give or take a couple of players here and there. But um, yeah, first day kind of went about as expected. Yeah, you know, a few different picks, teams making trades, but overall in terms of the players that went, like you said, pretty much what we expected. Uh, number nine, the Eagles moved up one spot and swapped with the Bears to get Jalen Carter. Darnell Wright was the 10th pick, a little bit of a surprise, um, but nonetheless a position of need. So it wasn't, you know, like a, Super surprising pick. It was just the player more so um, as the Bears went down a spot to 10. 11, Peter Skronsky out of Northwestern went to the Titans. Uh, I think a solid pick by the Titans there to help, you know, rebuild up that offensive line. 12, the Detroit Lions moved from 6 to 12 and took Jameer Gibbs. Uh, a little bit surprising on the player and the position, I think we could have seen them go a few different spots. Um, you know, you look at maybe edge rusher just as an example, but I feel like Gibbs should have gone, you know, in the late twenties, mid twenties. And here he was going at 12. Um, so that was two running backs gone in the first 12 picks. 13 green Bay Packers were picking with a pick they got from the jets and Aaron Rodgers trade. And, they took Lucas Van Ness, really good pick, helped fill the void that was left by Zadarius Smith. 14, Broderick Jones out of Georgia, really solid player. Um, Going to play tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who moved up a few spots and grabbed New England's draft choice. Will McDonald at 15, a little bit of a surprise here, going to the Jets and the pick they got, Brian Rodgers. Um, I mean, I think... 
McDonald has a high ceiling, but I don't know if this was quite where we saw him going or when we saw him going. Um, and that's the same for the guy next on the board in Emmanuel Forbes. Really good player. Uh, definitely addressed the position of need, just not with the player I thought they would. And then Christian Gonzalez was still on the board. He goes the next pick to um, New England. So overall, pretty interesting pick there. Um, the Gonzalez fit was really, really good. I thought they nailed that pick, you know, trading back a few spots and getting a guy that probably should have gone in the top 12, top 10. Um, so really good first round there from New England. Um, you know, that, like, like we kind of talked about, it kind of got, kind of got wild here. Um, obviously I thought it was, I love the Eagles to go up and get, go up, kind of flop with, with the bears at nine to get Carter. Um, Darnell Wright, I'll hit on this is a little bit surprising. Um, Surprising that they took him over Skaronsky and Broderick. Maybe not Broderick, but what do you think about it? it? It was probably early for Wright, I think. But from their perspective, if they they felt like they they like Braxton Jones at, at left tackle supposedly um, as a younger guy, and I think that they really wanted to get a right tackle, a powerful right tackle. And when you put him next to Tevin Jenkins at right guard, who they like at guard a lot better than they liked him at tackle. Um, you get a really mean, powerful duo over there to really run the ball. And I think when you look at what they want their identity to be offensively, the pick does make a little more sense when you kind of step back and look at it. Um, I was a little surprised kind of off of um, kind of the first glance and it kind of right, up, right after the commissioner said his name. But when you think about it a little bit longer and you kind of look at the kind of the perspective and, and the context of the pick, it makes a little more sense for me. And um, I know it was a little lower on right than, than some were, but I think he's a really good player and um, definitely slots in at, at right tackle for them from day one and makes that offensive line better. Skaronsky, um, a phenomenal pick. He, whether it's a guard or get guard or tackle for them, he's going to be a great player. Um, the Gibbs pick, man, they they so they were the team that that had to have felt there was a report that came out like what the day before or the morning of that basically so there was a team that views uh get Jameer Gibbs as a higher ranked prospect than Bijan and they would have taken him at six reportedly so pretty wild to me um you know Jameer's a really good player I believe he was a top 20 player for me or a top 25 player came I think he came right in about 20 or 21 on my board so really really good player um so I mean the pick value is not terrible here um, it's more just about the fact that they took a running back at 12 that wasn't, I don't think, worth the 12th overall pick. Like Bijan, I think, was worth the 8th overall pick because I think he's a generational talent, whereas Jameer Gibbs is a really, really good player, but so was Brees Hall. So was Kenneth Walker. So was you know, Jonathan Taylor coming out, that kind of thing. So um, definitely a really good player. He's going to have a high impact on, on that team on day one, and and I and I like the the thought process. I just don't know if I love it at eight at, at twelve. And we'll get to their pick at eighteen, which falls a similar line that was a little more egregious to me. Um, I think it was less egregious to some. I, I think Jameer's a great player, so it's not as egregious as, as as some are making it out to be. But definitely a surprising pick. That was the first like man like WTF like what's going on like oh my goodness pick. Um, and if <laughs> there was more that followed here, um, loved Van Ness at thirteen. I was hitting out again, banging the drum that that he was a Packer. Um, he fits the, he fits their mold of what they want. I, I was super high on Van Ness. I feel like I was higher than most on him. He was one of my guys in this class. Love that he went to green Bay. It fits, it fits what they need. I think it fits his play style as well. To give him, going to give him time to develop on that defensive line. I think he gets to learn from another guy similar in Rashawn Gary, um, Broderick at 14, great move up to get him. I love the, the aggressiveness to get him as a left tackle for them. Uh, McDonald and Forbes here, both. I think you hit the nail on the head. I like the idea and the, and the need filled. 
I don't love the player they chose to fill the need with. And I, and I don't dislike either of these guys. I think, you know, Forbes would have been that 51 to 60 range for me and McDonald was right on the cusp in that 40 to 50 range for me. So uh, I don't dislike these players. I don't think they're bad players. I just don't think that with the talent on the board, the, that was the right decision. I think that to me, um, at least their positions value, but I think they way reach on the board, especially with um, getting into these next eight picks. So like you said, Gonzalez at 17, starting to hire you with the next eight. I mean, he's a top, top five player, top, top six player for me. I mean, I believe he ended up at like what six on my big board, I think. Um, yeah, he was six on my big board. I mean, he was a, he was a really good player. Um, I think he's going to be an, a stud. And I think him going to new England is just so, so new England to them to get that kind of player there at 17. Um, next up was Jack Campbell at 18. Um, this was the more egregious reach for the lions. I, I, I liked Campbell. Uh, I mean, I liked him enough. He was LB two for me, but at the end of the day, I just didn't. At eighteen is crazy, absolutely wild to me. Um, with other players on the board, they could have gotten him in the second round. So, uh, although I'll say this, if you would have flopped this pick with their pick of Branch in the second round, I'm way happier with their with their draft. So I'm not overall their draft grades solid for me, or not, I'm not going to grade them today. I don't, I don't believe. I don't. I don't think they were in my. Uh, I don't know if you'll talk about them. I think you're going to, but. Um, you know, for me, like their draft grade isn't terrible. It's just where they made the selections is a little confusing. But if you kind of flip flop some of their guys, even Hendon Hooker makes a little more sense to me. Um, 19, the Bucks go Kalijah Cansey. Like that fit there for him. Uh, the receiver run kind of kicks off here at 20 with the Seahawks taking JSN. Uh, Jackson with the Jigbo receiver at Ohio State. Surprised he lasted this long, but when they were on the clock, I kind of had a feeling this is where they'd go. Uh, the Chargers at 21 took Quentin Johnston. Um, now, I'm going to talk a lot kind of at length about this pick, but uh, makes sense for their physical profile that they like for receivers, like bigger guys. Um, Zay Flowers then goes immediately after to the Ravens at 22. A popular pick for the Chargers goes to the Ravens at 22 out of BC. Um, love that fit for Zay. And then at 23, the receiver run concludes with Jordan Addison going 23 uh, to the Vikings out of USC. Um, yeah, loved again. Lo- I love the fit for all three, all four of these receivers. I think if you were to take all four of these guys and go, where would they fit the best on these four teams? I think this is probably the way you plug it in. The only thing you might flop is, is Johnson and Zay. Cause I think if you look at those rosters as is, you may be thinking, Oh, like the chargers have a big body receiver. Maybe they need the smaller guy kind of shifty or whereas the Ravens kind of, they've got Bateman and they've got, you know, that they, they really like um, Duvernay and they've got OBJ. Maybe they need the big X receiver, but I think even then, and we're both going to dive into it, obviously, that these guys fit phenomenally in those rooms. And then Addison, I think he was the best fit for, um, you know, kind of to play next to uh, Justin Jefferson, a guy who can kind of play inside, outside, um, did it in college, did it at a high level. So really love the fits there for all, honestly, all four of those guys. And then JSN slides in the slot perfectly in that, in that Seattle offense. Um, and then rounding out, what's this, the next eight with the giant, with the giants here, moving up to 24 with Jacksonville. Um, they flopped ahead of the, uh, would they flop uh, or no, they just moved up one pick, didn't they? Yeah, they just went up one to go get uh, Banks. Um, interesting move to kind of flop one. I guess maybe they had calls from other teams. I like the move to get Banks. It sounds like they wanted a receiver per um, kind of what it sounded like. I think kind of a couple days after they wanted a receiver, um, tried to get up for Zay, couldn't. Um, I think they probably wanted to try. They probably called. The, I know the Chargers wanted to, were on the phones looking to move down, but didn't want to move down from Johnston. Um, I would bet the Ravens wanted to move down too, but weren't going to move down from Zay from the, what kind of what you said. Um, so I think the giants go up here and they get banks, which is a really solid player for them. And, and it kind of comes in and slots in a CB one right away for them. 
Yeah, overall, I think a lot of these picks here, especially the receiver run, it made a lot of sense. Um, I know I'm pretty happy with our pick. I, you know, I felt like it was going to be receiver or corner, but ultimately Zay, I think a lot of teams wanted, and I'm glad we got him. It'll fit right in. Um, JSN of the Seahawks was another pick I really liked. Just completing that receiver room, and when you have two guys that have a pretty substantial cap hit. It's important to have a young guy that's as talented as he is at such a low cap number, especially with possibly five years of cap control. Um, Deontay Banks, really liked him a lot going to the Giants, I thought was big for them. You know, going up one spot where they probably didn't have to, but nonetheless getting him um, fit right in on that defense. And I know they lost a lot of DBs this offseason. Uh, continuing on though here, Dalton Kincaid going to the Bills. The Bills moved up a couple spots to get him. Well, they probably didn't have to. Maybe they did. Um, but I ultimately think this is a good pick by the Bills. Um, they can use him a lot of different ways. Obviously, Dawson Knox is your true tight end. Kincaid will probably be, you know, more in the slot, more uh, detached than you might think a traditional tight end would be. Uh, Mozzie Smith, D tackle out of Michigan. I liked him. Going to the Cowboys, I thought was a good pick. Plug and play for them. Anton Harrison, the tackle out of Oklahoma. Going to the Jags at 27 after they trade down a couple of times. Good pick overall. Obviously, you have Cam Robinson. Uh, and then you have, you lost Jawan Taylor. And Cam Robinson being suspended probably a few games here pretty soon. Uh, so, the tackle was a need for them. 28, we have back-to-back Clemson Tigers go. Miles Murphy, drafted by the Bengals. Solid get for them. I believe they lost a couple guys on that D-line, and I think they probably wanted Kincaid, but after he was gone, this was probably their second option. And then next, we had Brian Brzee. D-tackle go to the New Orleans Saints, which I thought was a good fit as well. Um, you know, older D-line who spends a lot of – a front office who has spent a lot of premium draft capital on that front seven. Um, but adding another guy here in the first round to it should – you know, be beneficial to them. Learning from Cam Jordan, even though they have slightly different roles, I think the veteran presence in the room will be big for him. Nolan Smith falling to 30 um, was a great pick by the Eagles. Granted, it's, it is a risky pick being with his injury history, but nonetheless high upside and another veteran front seven room that he can learn from. And then to round it out, Felix Anadike Ozama, the pass rusher out of K-State, jumps into the first round going to the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. Thought this was a good pick. I also think this was not their first or second option. Um, we'll get to it a little more later in the episode, but I think they wanted a couple other guys, and you know Felix was probably the best player there that fit the need, and they went with him. But I definitely think that's a good room for him. You know, a lot of front seven guys on the back and the tail end of this first round. Um, but another guy where they lost Frank Clark, and they drafted Karloftis last year, and they still have. Uh, Chris Jones, but I think this will be beneficial to them as well um, for him to develop. I don't know if he's going to have big numbers day one, but he should definitely develop and project as a solid starter for him. Yeah, um, kind of going up to the top with the Kincaid pick. I know um, that kind of the draft room video came out from when they traded up for him, um, and 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 Brandon Bean was kind of talking about how it was him. There was two basically two guys that they had. You know, they were at 27, and um, they knew that when that they knew that the Jazz were looking to move down again. And so I think, you know, he was like, hey, I would hate to get this close to both these guys and miss on both of them. I don't know who the other guy was. I think it's prob- it was probably 
if I had to guess, it was probably Kincaid and then probably Miles or or, or Nolan Smith, one of those two guys. Um, looking at their edge room, maybe um, another guy I could probably think of is maybe Porter. Looking to add to that corner room, um, maybe it was Mayer as well. I don't really know. Um, as another tight end spot, but they go to get Kincaid, and I remember him saying in the video, he's like, "We didn't think he'd go past the Chargers. Like they he thought the Chargers were going to take Kincaid." Um, which funny enough, I think I think Quentin Johnson fills a similar like role with day one as like a bigger, not a big slot, but like a bigger bodied receiver for him that maybe doesn't get reps on every single play. Um, which is what Kincaid's going to be for Buffalo is a big slot. Um, that's kind of what Bean kind of alluded to in their in their presser and talked about having Dawson Knox on that team and and um, kind of being able to use Kincaid as a weapon out wide as opposed to kind of like you said as an inline tight end, be less detached than you'd think um, a guy would be. Um, the Mozzie pick didn't love it. I didn't think Mozzie was a top 50 player. I know he's a freak in the weight room, and um, and I have a lot of respect for that. I just I don't know how he translates to a football field. I haven't seen it translate. You see him kind of get up the double teams occasionally, but it was on an inconsistent basis. I didn't love um, you know the actual play on the field from him. Um, Harrison Pickles interesting, kind of going you know. And then we finish up with what four straight front seven guys, three of them, or I guess all of them being. Um, you know, pass rushers for the most part is what their upside is. Um, you know, Miles Murray, I think it's a great pick for Cincinnati. And he, the comp for him that I kind of like a lot, I heard was Trey Hendrickson. Um, very similar play styles, really, really good run defenders that have pass rush upside. Obviously, Trey figured it out. The next level is a pass rusher. Um, was not as highly touted as Miles, obviously, coming out. But um, I think Miles can figure it out. I think it's a really good room for him to go to. Uh, a really solid defense for him to go to that. They just figure, uh, what's it, Lou, Ariema, just kind of, I don't know if I said his last name right, but Lou, um, they have a great defense every single year, man. They they don't they don't run out this A-list defense, right? They don't have, they're not star-studded at every single level, but they have a really solid group every single year, so I love adding Miles Murphy to that room. Um, Brzee at 29 seems like just the most Saints pick ever. Front seven defensive lineman that you kind of just don't know about. You don't know how it's going to translate. You don't really know. There's a lot of question marks with this game, but you're betting on the upside. Um, Nolan Fallen to 30 is interesting. I, that's the guy that I thought the Chargers would take at 21. Kind of what my intel had told me that they that they would take him um, if he was there. And obviously the medical stuff, um, you know, it wasn't just the Chargers that passed on him. It was 29, 29 other teams or roughly 29. It was give, give or take a couple teams here and there. But 25 plus teams passed on him for a reason. Um, he's a really good player. So I think you look at the kind of up and down the list of like teams that needed an edge. Like, I mean, shoot. You could see New York at, at 15 took one, and they didn't want to take they didn't want to take Nolan. So, um, injury definitely some probably some injury red flags. Injury history is not great, but again, uh, get a place that he doesn't like. I think with with him going there is I think number one, he doesn't have to play every snap. Like it's same thing at Georgia, he didn't need to play every snap. Like he didn't have to. So I think getting him in, in that room in Philly is really big for him. Probably a Hassan Ryder replacement if I had to guess. That's that was always the comp for him, and I don't know if that's spot on. But I like the I like the comp enough that that that's probably what that is. Um, what they probably can't bring back Reddick in a year or two. Um, but I think I think the thing that gets overlooked and and I and I'll, I want to finish on Nolan. So Uzama's a good pick, a good player for me. Probably reached a little bit with the edge that the edges that were available. I would have I think he was probably right behind um, Bijo Jalari and Tulu Tuapolotu in my edge ranking. So I believe that's where he fell in my top 50s was behind those two guys, but. Um, Kansas City native, so I get it. Um, just probably would have preferred maybe for them to go a different direction. Maybe go Porter, who got picked right after him at 32, start the second round. Um, you know, Brian Branch would have fit that defense well, I think. Um, but again, 
nonetheless, they needed to address edge rusher, and they got the guy they feel like that was the best. Um, definitely the super high upside as a three-year player, a lot of room to grow still. Um, but with Nolan, I think the thing that's overlooked with him getting to go to Philly is is getting him in the room with Jalen Carter. I think Carter being able to stay together with Nolan, who was a was a was a team captain last year, really the heart of that defensive line for three years as a, as a leader. Um, and a guy who, who's uh, a stalwart off the field, guy who was, um, you know, teams loved him, his teammates loved him, a team at Georgia loved him, Kirby Smart loved him. So I think keeping him together with Jalen's big for Jen, I think also having N'Kobe Dean there is interesting too. I think N'Kobe Dean was also, I mean, he was the leader of the team. That I mean, it was N'Kobe Dean's team really last year when they won that first natty. I mean, he was the the heart and soul of that group. Not the best player, but he, I mean, it was his group, right? So I think that having him in that room with Jalen as well is really big for keeping him right off the field and getting him, getting the most out of him as a professional football player, getting the most out of him in a, in a career. Um, I think is big for the Eagles. So props to Howie on round one, obviously I think you're going to talk about him as well as a team that you liked. So, um, but like I said, first round went, was, was kind of crazy. We, we, I think we calmed down at the end of the first round. We kind of regressed to the mean, if you will, um, a little more normal. I think again, with the receiver run, that kind of felt, I mean, even with Cancy, like Cancy, their receiver run, Banks, Kincaid, kind of felt like it brought us back to earth a little bit. The Mozzie pick, a little wild, and then again, we finished up pretty pretty strong kind of with um, with first-round players with Harrison, Murphy, Brzee, Nolan, and then Enrique Ozama was a guy who was kind of always thrown around there at 31, um, kind of a name that kind of been talked about a few times there. So not a crazy pick by any means. By any means. Um, yeah, that kind of wraps up our – our first round talk. I'll, I'll, if you have any other kind of comments you want to add, uh, feel free. Or if not, we'll we'll jump into the team, our our team specific uh, kind of reactions here. No, yeah, I don't have any. Um, anything else really to say about the first round? Uh, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah. So the way we're gonna do this is we're each gonna talk about our own teams, and then we're each gonna talk about the Cowboys and Texans, and then we're each gonna get into two team two teams draft classes that we really liked. And then two that we didn't like as much. And then that'll pretty much be it. So I'll let you get into the Chargers, and then we'll kind of alternate through. Yeah, for sure. So their draft kind of went as follows. At, uh, in the first round at pick uh, 21 in the first round, they took Quentin Johnson, receiver at a TCU. Um, right after that, they then took Tuli Tui Pelotu in the second round, which um, you guys know listening to the pod. He was my guy even back in, um, you know, back in what was it? Uh, shoot. How long ago was that now? Jane, like early, like mid January when we did the edge rankings. That was my guy, man. I was uh, really high on him. Um, and then in, in the third round, they took Diane Henley, a linebacker out of Washington State. In the fourth round, they took Darius Davis, receiver, really as a kicker and punt returner. They took him there. Um, I think the name there shocked a lot of people going that early, but I think as a kick returner, punt returner, he was probably the premier guy in the class. Um, him and Devontae or Tavian Wicks out of, I believe, Virginia. Uh, and then Bryce Ford, we were the three kind of big names as returners. I think Jalen Moreno Cropper as well out of Fresno State. But those those kind of group of guys that – but it felt like Dar- Darius Davis was the premier power five returner um, in the draft. And then it picked, it, that in the fifth round, they went with Jordan McFadden, uh, guard out of – or I guess he played tackle for Clemson, projects as a guard at the next level with the size profile. In the sixth round, they went Scott Matlock, uh, interior defensive lineman out of Boise State. Then in the seventh round, they committed to the bit of being um, the Los Angeles Horned Frogs and took uh, quarterback Max Duggan out of TCU. Um, I'll kind of start there, I guess, because a lot of fans are really mad about this. First of all, it's a seventh round pick. You're literally th- you're literally throwing darts at a dartboard blindly. Sometimes it's like, well, 
got a rough guess of what these guys can be, but I'm going to take, I'm going to take a chance on X trait or X characteristic of this guy. I think with, I think with Max, I think you look at the fact that he was a guy who was highly, highly, highly respected um, by his team at TCU fought through crazy adversity to get to where he was played on the big stage. The lights weren't too bright for him. I know, listen, I know that, that the Georgia game was rough for them, but when you go back and watch that offensive line, which is so overmatched, no, I mean, they had no, no time to throw the ball. They knew that they couldn't run the ball. I believe their what their one big play was a was a it was a broken coverage. Um, it was a it was a big it was a uh, as, let's see it was a it was like a ten yard fifteen yard dig from Johnson and then it was followed up kind of right behind with a little wheel route by Darius Davis like where they crossed at the break broken coverage. Davis catches the ball and that was really it, right? I mean that was the kind of the one big play they had. Um, so they just got smothered. I don't I don't think that's a representation of any of the TCU guys um in that game, but. But Duggan's a guy, high character, guy who who fought through adversity. I think it fits the Chargers' profile. And I think when you look at what kind of their situation is, they're about to pay Justin Herbert a, a stupid bag. I've been pretty vocal. It's going to happen before and at the end of July. I think by the, before the end of June. So when you do that, the current backup they have in the roster is Easton Sticker. They're paying roughly two million, almost two million dollars, like one point five, one point six for a year. They probably need to get a little cheaper there. And they probably can't afford to keep paying that guy two million dollars a year to be a backup when you got a quarterback making fifty-four million dollars a year, fifty-three million dollars a year, right? So, um, I think you get cheaper that the backup position. I think again, and what's being lost a little bit is is, and I, and I love this process to me and this thought process is, man, we want to get it, we want to make Quentin Johnson, we want to make him feel really, really familiar, and we want to make him feel secure in Los Angeles because unfortunately for him. He's never played football outside the state of Texas for, you know, full time. Went to Temple High School in Central Texas, um, you know, went to TCU for three years. Now he's in Los Angeles, California. I mean, talk about culture shock. It's so I mean, he was in Temple, Texas to Fort Worth, Texas. to now he's in Los Angeles. Talk about going from. Just told two totally different worlds, it feels like. So, um, you know, I think I think it, I think it adds some familiarity and some comfort for Quentin Johnson, which, you know, for better or for worse. He's a huge part of the Chargers' future for the next minimum four to five years. But like I said, for better or for worse for them, they don't have a choice. Like he is going to be a massive part of their future um, for the next four to five years. And, and whatever they can do to make him feel the best and the most comfortable, you do. And um, people that were upset about Duggan in the seventh, well, people were were wanting to get that wanting them to get Gerard Clark in the seventh. Well, they signed him as a UDFA. So if in your mind you just flop him, you're fine. Um, I'll skip over here. I'll get to go back to the top with Quentin Johnston. And I just talked about him. Um, my initial reaction on the pick was, um, I don't want to say disappointed. I was just a little bit, um, it was a little underwhelming to me. I, I, I didn't love Johnston. He came in at 34 on my, on my big board, I believe, um, right around there. So I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just, it was a pick to me that I thought they could have gone. I, I wanted Nolan Smith there personally. Um, I think I felt better about it looking back and looking at kind of what, the reason he fell in the medicals and stuff. Um, but again, the 34, my board isn't this crazy reach. I just thought they'd take an edge and maybe it was a better pick. Um, but when I look back, I think, you know, they, I did they never, they were probably never going to take Zaire, Zaire Addison at, at 21 because those guys just, they've never picked receivers like that. Tom Telesco's never picked guys. I believe the only receiver that fits those profiles is Travis Benjamin, who was on the team for a couple of years. They had Deandre Carter last year. Um, who's mainly a returner for a single year. So, um, you know, Quentin Johnson fits their profile. And I also think that, um, 
when you look at the three guys of of Quentin, Zay, and Addison, I think Quentin Johnson definitely has the lowest floor of the group. I think when you look at what his issues are, kind of what what the what the weaknesses to his game are, but he's got the highest ceiling. I think. Like, I think Addison's the the least amount of variation. I think you know what you're getting with him. I don't know if he's going to get a ton ton better at that frame. I think Zay is kind of somewhere in the middle where he's a pretty pretty. I mean, he's a fairly high floor guy. A little bit of a low floor with the with the weight, but I don't know if he'll ever be like this elite wide receiver one because the way that kind of the league is trending, there's a lot more smaller corners that are more equipped to cover guys like that. Like when you look what Antonio Brown was doing, the corners were a little bigger. They weren't as small. They weren't as quick. Um, and I also just don't know how his game translates as opposed to Quentin's does. Um, just that's like the right team, and I think the right team got him. I'll say that like. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that when he's finished up with the Ravens, like I love him in the Munkin offense. Um, and we talked about the comp and, and I'll, and I'm, if you don't, if you don't mention that, I'll, I'll throw it out there later. But um, for Quentin, I think he, he profiles well into the room. I think he adds an element that they have not had in that room. Gosh, since I don't even know when um, they have not had a guy this young, that's this explosive after the catch since I don't know when in that receiver room. So um you know, really like the fit there. I think again, it's the highest ceiling. They don't they don't need him to be a wide receiver one from like it, I think the thing that talk about the Chargers a lot, and it was talked about with my mainstream media a lot, is like, hey, we don't love X receiver this high, but to the Chargers we do because they already have two two really good receivers. They have two borderline one number one receivers. They've got two guys that that, that whoever goes in there doesn't need to be a one right away. You know what I mean? So um, but I, I do like the fact that this was a forward-looking pick. I think that they realized one of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen is gone next year, so they've got to replace him with a legitimate potential one number one type of guy, and that was Johnston in this class with the with the group that was remaining. So, like the process there. Um, I'll hit on Davis real quick just because we're there with the with the TCU guys, and then I'll, and I'll kind of get to the the next picks. But um, Darius Davis. Fourth round was earlier than he was projected, but again, for the premier returner in the class, I'm not mad. Um, four, three, six speed. I think he's going to contribute more offensively from day one than people think right away. Um, you know, they could use him on jet sweeps potentially. They can use He was really good in kind of the short area game and then the deep game for TCU. But we're really where the value for him is going to be is as a returner. Um, he's the premier returner in the Big 12 last year. Um, had an awesome year for for, for TCU. Um lit us up for three touchdowns when he went, when, when uh, Texas Tech went to Fort Worth. So glad the next time I see him doing that, it'll be for the Chargers, not, um, you know, not hurting us. So hurting me at least. So um, I like the Davis pick a lot again, maybe a little early, but for what they, any other receiver here probably would have been like, oh, okay. Like, I guess they're taking Tyler Scott, like, great, but you, you're going to draft a receiver in the fourth round to, to play 10% of the snaps. Like, I just don't love the process there, but this process I like, they finally have a legit returner. It feels like they've never really had that. And I feel like them getting him, they're going to have a great returner for a while. I think returners are pretty easy to project, right? Like Marcus Jones last year was like, man, guy's going to be a set returner. And sure enough, he's a Pro Bowl returner as a rookie. So I'm um, really happy about Darius Davis there. Um, and then I'll get to two. I'll, I'll kind of go to the back up to the top here with Thule. Um, Thule two Pelotu turns 21 years old, I believe, on September 3rd. Um, so he's super young. Um, can't even go buy a beer to celebrate. Unfortunate for him, but nonetheless, um, I love Thule, man. He he was a, what the nation's leader in sacks last year, with 13 and a half sacks. Um, you know, like his power rush, not the most athletic guy in the world, but again, really loved the way he was crafty enough to get home. Um, gave Notre Dame's two potential first round pick tackles fits um, when they played in, in in the Coliseum this year. So love the Thule pick. 
I think he slots in in a, in a room where he can go learn from Joy Bosa, Khalil Mack. Um, probably going to be an edge for them, for them for the most part. Can come in kind of on NASCAR packages and kind of go all over the place and pass rushes in situations, but probably not an, an every down player right away. Um, just because they're going to be rotating him and him Mack and Bosa through the through the edge room. Um, probably not going to play much interior for them. I don't think I think he profiles as an edge rusher, be a little bit lighter than he played at USC, maybe, um, lighter than people were projecting him to be. I think people wanted him to be like a three technique IDL, probably going to be like a, like a, like a, like a big end five technique, um, maybe an outside seven sometimes. So, but I love the Thule pick. Um, I believe he was, uh, let's see, where do you have him on big board? If I can pull it up right here. I know he was a top 40 player for me. I'm pretty sure. Um, See, so, yeah, came in at 37. So, you know, three spots below Johnston's is huge value for me. Um, love his game a ton. Um, love getting the SC guy in there. Uh, I believe that's the most. Let's see. Like, yeah, USC is the most um, like the most drafted from university or college for the Chargers. And they've, they've picked the most guys from USC in the history of their of their franchise. So love to get him in there. Diane Henley. Not a guy that I lived through the process. I was a little disappointed at first with this pick, but I, again, I didn't watch a lot of linebackers. I, didn't, I only watched one game of his. So, um, you know, the word on him is he's super athletic, super rangy. Um, people love the mentality. He plays with former former receiver, former safety, um, you know, from Nevada. So kind of goes down, plays box linebacker, a little bit undersized. But again, uh, from the sounds of it, really talented individual, really athletic, really good short area quickness. So, um you know, people really like putting him next to Eric Kendricks, getting to learn from him as a pass coverage guy. Probably not going to play right now, like from day one, probably not a starting linebacker. But again, going to be a special teams beast as a rookie. Probably take over for one of the two vacant linebacker spots. I don't think they're bringing back either Kendricks or Murray next year. So that guy is going to take over as a starter probably in a year. Um, getting a Jordan McFadden here from from uh, from Clemson. Uh, six foot two, 303 pounds, five-year guy at Clemson. Um, redshirt is a freshman. Backup tackle for them in 2019. Started for three straight years. A right tackle, a starter at right tackle in uh, in 2020 when they went to the playoff. Uh, starts as a left tackle for the next two years as a second team All ACC guy in 2021. 2022 is a first team All ACC left tackle. Uh, wins the the award for top eight, top blocker in the in, in the conference as a team captain. So um, really big really big pros there for him. He moves really really well. Um, like an elite mover in space, which I really like. I think that. The way that this has been comped to me that I've heard, and I, and I like this thought process after a while. Obviously, I, you know, I want to watch a guy, and I didn't get to watch him. You know, we weren't watching, you know, fourth and fifth round guards in our in our evaluations. But, um, you know, a guy who we, you know, and I kind of when, when Chargers when I kind of went back and watched him, he's a really good, I guess, a really good mover in space, played tackle. Probably going to project similarly to what the way Samar, Jamari Sawyer did. So, probably a guard for them who's going to play tackle in a pinch. Right now, I think that, you know, they they probably need a swing tackle. And I think that in their mind, they pick McFadden, who's the best available for them. I think with the, the, the flexibility that they have with Jamari Sawyer, who's going to play right guard for them, should should one of the tackles in Trey Pipkins or Rashawn Slater get hurt, Sawyer probably kicks to that spot at tackle. And then they put McFadden in at right guard, which I like that thought process a lot for them. So, um, or they could just plug in, you know, game day. They just plug in, you know, McFadden at either tackle spot and then just go with it for the rest of the game and then kind of adjust the next week. But like the flexibility for him and then kind of rounding out here with Scott Matlock on the sixth round, um, six foot four, 300 pound defensive tackle from uh, from Boise State. A little bit light for that tall, but again, more of a three technique rusher. Um, you know, I don't know how much pass rush is going to get the next level as upside, but a good run stopper for them. Um, 
you know, pretty athletic dude, ran a four nine five forty. Um, I believe his RAS was, was fairly high. Um, so I like this pick a lot. It's kind of a, a fundamental, um, or I guess fundamentally in the, in the scheme, he slides right in as a three tech, um, with that, with that system. And then again, I think getting to learn kind of the fundamentals of the game a little bit better as a pass rusher from guys like Morgan Fox, Bastion Joseph Day. I like the fit for him in the room, just going to come in from day one and be a developmental guy. So overall, thought this was the most uh, kind of complete and most value added class that the Chargers have had in a long time. And there's always been a reach in the third round and the fourth round. Um, so I think when you look at the consensus board, you look at what they did, the thought process behind it, a lot of contributors from day one, obviously Quentin Johnson, Tutu, Pelotu, Darius Davis, all going to start from day one at their prospective spots, get a lot of playing time. Diane Henley probably gets some play as well as special teamer. Jordan McFadden probably going to play a little bit when someone gets hurt eventually. Um, so I like, I like the thought process behind a lot of these picks. If I had to give it a grade, it's probably like right a B or a B plus um, kind of retrospectively looking at it a little bit, um, kind of viewing it uh, holistically um, and kind of with a lens of what these guys' roles will be. I uh, really, really enjoy this class and I'm really excited for what these guys can do, especially uh, Quentin and Thule, man. I'm really excited for these two guys, um, what they can learn from with the group ahead of them, kind of the impact they can have in year one. So um, get off my, I'll get off my, my pedestal and, uh, and uh, we'll give it a read for the Ravens. Yeah, overall, I like the Chargers class a lot. I think it was a good combination of, you know, obviously they didn't make any trades with their picks, but a good combination of filling needs while also building for the future. And I think should pay off probably more in 2024 than this year, honestly. Um, looking at the Ravens class, they made six picks. Uh, they did trade a couple times. With the pick uh, to gain a sixth when they initially had five going into the draft. Looking at their undrafted free agents first, they got Keaton Mitchell, a running back out of East Carolina, who's really solid. He should have been drafted. And then also they they got Dante Demas, a 6'4", 220-pound wide receiver out of Maryland. Both those guys, I think, will make the 53-man roster. should be exciting to see. I think they'll both have pretty big impacts, especially Keaton Mitchell. Um but looking at the draft in reverse order, round seven, the Ravens traded back into the draft at the, after their class had initially concluded. They wanted to take a chance on Andrew Voorhees. Tours ACL at the Combine, still put out the most bench reps out of anyone at the Combine with 38. Likely would have gotten 40 had he not torn his ACL. Um, left guard of the future, I think the Ravens' biggest need was cornerback number two and left guard. And they have their left guard of the future here, I think. Uh, in 2022, he was first-team All-American, and he started 11 games at left guard while missing three due to injury. Um, but overall, pretty solid career, five years in college, so a little bit older, but he did redshirt his second year in college after suffering an ankle injury. Um, round six, they the Baltimore Ravens drafted... Malaysala Amuve Laulu. He is a Polynesian offensive tackle who the Ravens will probably project as guard. Um, he's pretty big. He went to high school in Las Vegas, um, was at Oregon throughout his entire college career. Um, he started over 20 games for him. Uh, he started 10 at right tackle in 2021, and then he started all the games in 2022. Uh, all all Pac-12, I believe. Like I said, probably a guard for the Ravens. Uh, I think he's a guy that they really liked. You know, when the Ravens pick was coming up, this was definitely an option that was being talked about. 
In the fifth round of pick 157, the Ravens selected Caillou Blue Kelly, corner out of Stanford, uh, their third Pac-12 guy that I'm talking about. Um, I guess not technically, but West Coast guy. Um, he, he was really solid. He's a bigger guy. You can play press man. Uh, had a solid and consistent career for the Stanford Cardinals. As a true freshman, he played in 12 games, and he started nine of them. Uh, in 2020, started five games in the shortened campaign, I think it was, for the Pac-12 and a few other schools. Uh, second team all Pac-12 in 2021, led the conference with 13 PBUs, two picks, uh, and 11 starts. And then in 2022, he started 10 games. He did miss two due to injury. He had 35 tackles, six PBUs, and second team all conference again. So really solid co- college career for Caillou Blue Kelly, and he's also a really smart guy. So a guy that probably doesn't have a big year one impact, but definitely down the road, you know, as his rookie contract plays out, he could end up having a big, bigger role. Um, in round four, the Ravens went with Tavius Robinson, a edge rusher, kind of five technique out of Ole Miss. He was a multi-sport athlete in col- or in high school where he attended, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the high school, but it was in Ontario, Canada. Um, I mean, a really good athlete, um, like I mentioned, multi-sport. In 2020, Ole Miss signed him, and he had five starts and two sacks, and he was overall productive really in every season. Uh, three and a half sacks, four and a half TFLs coming off the bench in 11 games in 2021. But in 2022, in 2022, he was tied for second in the FBS with five forced fumbles. He had 44 tackles, eight TFLs, and seven sacks in just 13 starts. So high production guy uh, will probably replace that Calais Campbell role as more so an edge rusher, but can also you know put up six, seven sacks. Uh, if you need it. And then in round three, the Ravens selected Trenton Simpson at the 86th overall pick. I thought this was a really good pick. Um, Wouldn't have been my first choice, but with Patrick Queen likely on his way out, just because the Ravens paid Roquan Smith, you know, that five-year $100 million deal, uh, they can't afford to pay Patrick Queen even just the fifth-year option, which was $12.72 million. Declined the fifth-year option. Trenton Simpson probably won't have a big role this year, given that Patrick Queen's now in a contract year and he'll still be starting. But in 2024, 2025, I think Simpson could come in and be really athletic box player, if not starting inside linebacker opposite Roquan. Um, pretty solid career for Trenton at Clemson. He was a top 20 recruit coming out of high school in North Carolina. Started 12 games he played as a true freshman, or start started three of the 12 games he played in as a true freshman. He had four sacks, six TFLs. Um, in 2021, he had six sacks in 13 games, 12 TFLs. Um, 2022, he had two and a half sacks, four TFLs, three PBUs, two forced fumbles, and 12 starts. He did miss the Orange Bowl. He had an ankle injury. Um, I mean, grew up in a military family. His dad was in seven, 17 overseas tours with the Army. And just a really good guy, all about the team. Uh, it should be fun to see how he develops. And really, I think he could be a locker room guy from day one. Um, 
And then finally, the Ravens pick in the first round as they didn't have a second trade it for Roquan Smith at the trade deadline last October. Zay Flowers at the 22nd overall pick. It was the Ravens' own pick. They did not trade. Um, his name Zavian goes by Zay. Started two of the 13 games his freshman year. Had 200 yards receiving and a touchdown. The only three-star recruit out of high school and wanted to go to Boston College to prove that he could. You know, I think Boston College is one of his higher offers, and he wanted to prove that he could compete with the best being, you know, ACC, maybe not the best, but nonetheless, Power 5, proven conference, uh, you know, sends Clemson to the playoff most years. Um, going in, Going into 2020, he had 900 yards, or 2021, excuse me, he had 900 yards, nine touchdowns, and also a rushing touchdown. And while his quarterback was injured, they kind of had to bring in a backup, and that hurt his production a little bit, um, as you would think. And he had this past season, he had 1,100 receiving yards, 12 receiving touchdowns, and 12 starts. And he also handled some punt returns. I believe he had seven punt returns and 12 carries also. So kind of a do-it-all guy uh, this past season for Boston College. And I think he'll kind of have a similar role to the Ravens offense as they bring in Todd Munkin. Um, You know, the Ravens are undoubtedly going to be a more pass-happy offense. They're not going to be a pass-happy offense when you look at the league as a whole. I'm still going to rely on the run fairly often, but more pass happy than they have been in years past with Greg Roman. Overall, I thought this was a pretty good draft class, six picks. Uh, I think trading back in to get Voorhees was big for for them. And I think this class is going to pay dividends more so in two or three years than it will this year. Uh, this year was kind of just about getting Zay, and then I think they're going to sign a corner or two, and then they'll be set. I mean, I I love the Zay Flowers fit, man. Um, genuinely, I, I like like I alluded to. I think that off off rip, we both probably would have said that. Like I said, if we flopped our two teams' first round picks, the fits might have been better on paper. But when you look into the schemes, I think they both fit better on the teams they were drafted to. Um, you know, I think with Monkey, I think when you look at what that team at Georgia did, I think you look at Lad McConkey, what what he did for them, uh, when he was a weapon for him, kind of across the whole field. I think that's what Zay can do. They they use Lad in a multitude of ways. A lot of quick game, a lot of deep routes, a lot of um, behind the line of scrimmage stuff. Whether it was screens, handoffs, um, you know, shovel passes, jet sweeps, that kind of thing. I think that's what Zay brings to that offense from day one. Is a lot of the ability to be quick hitters, uh, deep routes, that kind of thing. So um, love his ability in the deep route running game. Um, with Simpson again, you hit it. He's super athletic. That's what you're betting on is the upside. I think you put him next to Roquan in a year. Um, it could be a really solid duo. So overall, um, really like the class. I like thinking about he's late. Also like Blue Kelly a lot. Um, he's a really good player. Had really good tape against Drake London um, uh, last year and AS two years ago. Um, when London was just destroying people. I mean, that dude was literally eating people alive. Um, Kyle Blue Kelly had a really good game against him. Not like he shut him down, but he had really good tape against him. So um like that blue kelly pick a lot um but yeah I know, like you said uh, both these two drafts a lot of guys who um kind of come in from day one contribute but again you're looking at more um day or year two year three big time contributions from a lot of their guys especially both linebackers and henley and and, and simpson both kind of profiles guys who 
Um, definitely see a lot of special teams as a, as a core four guy year one, and then in year two, probably step into that starting starting linebacker role. Um, obviously, uh, Henley probably thrusted in there a little bit a little bit harder than uh, than Simpson will do, just with you know no Roquan Smith on the Chargers, right? They're, they don't have any elite linebackers, so um, kind of play next to. But again, a really really solid draft from the Ravens. Again, I think if I had to grade it, probably give it around a B or a B plus. Again, there's no there's no like oh my god, this is like the greatest pick ever. There's also no like, man, that pick sucks. Like these are all really solid picks. I think the process behind the picks is big too. Um, not always necessarily the player at certain spots, but the process behind it is big too. In my in, in my eyes, at least, I think it's it's a very process oriented deal. So like I talked about kind of before the draft. So love the process there from both teams. Getting into the Cowboys here, um, round one. Like we talked about, they go with uh, defense tackle Mozzie Smith out of uh, out of Michigan. Um, go round two, they go Luke Schoonmacher, a tight end out of Michigan. Round three, they go to Marvin Overshone, linebacker out of Texas, converted safety. Um, most armbands you've ever seen in your life. That guy is decked out in armbands. Um, at, in the fourth round, they went, uh, let's see, Ville Mahi Fajoko. Uh, goes by junior, uh, address right of San Jose State. Uh, in round five, they go Asim Richards, uh, tackle out of North Carolina. Um, may profile as a guard for them. A six four three zero nine is a, is, a, is a fine build for both, but um. You know, my profile is a guard as well. Probably some flexibility there for them. Uh, round six, they went with Eric Scott Jr. A um, couple trades there um, from Chicago through Miami and Kansas City. They get him in the top of the, top of the sixth round corner out of Southern Miss. Um, I'll skip their last, their sixth round pick, the other one for for one second. And then the seventh round, uh, they're towards the end of the draft. They took Jalen Brooks, receiver out of South Carolina. But the best story in the whole draft, probably ever in, in the history of the draft, maybe. Um Deuce Vaughn gets picked by the by the Dallas Cowboys, but the special thing here is that his dad is an area scout for the Cowboys, been an area scout for them for as long as I can remember. I remember, an, or I guess he's an assistant director of scouting now. I remember when we were in high school, his dad was an area scout, um, still lived in Round Rock, went to Cedar Ridge High School a little bit north of where we went to high school, got to play against Deuce. Um, but his dad got to make the phone call to draft him. There's a there's an awesome video of. Um, and they're in the draft room to get into their pick and kind of the story was like, whenever they did evaluations on Deuce, like his dad left the room, like he wasn't, he wasn't a part of it. Um, you know, obviously wanted to be a professional about it. Um, kind of left the room for that. Um, so we get, you know, they get to the clock and on the sitting sixth round and, um, you know, they told him like, Hey, we're going to like, we're taking Deuce and you could see him. He obviously starts crying. He's really happy. And then they, they let him make the call. So he calls Deuce and, um, it's really, really cool. Go watch the video. It's posted on a bunch of places. Um, probably the coolest thing I've ever seen with the draft. Um, Obviously, a big family affair like Porter Jr. goes to the Steelers, um, which was really cool. A um, couple of their couple of their family connections. But this was definitely the coolest uh, with Deuce's dad getting to make that call. Um, life changing, not just for Deuce, but for him as well. So um, super, super cool moment. Um, but overall, this class, um, I'll kind of give my thoughts real quick and then I'll let you hit, hit your thoughts on it. Um, it's interesting that they, they 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 posted the draft call or the draft room when they were debating to pick Mazier or a guard. Um, sounds like it was Matthew Bergeron, not Steve Avila, who people, a lot of people thought it was Bergeron. They were debating between him and him and Mozzie. And basically their thought was like, Hey, we've got depth at O-line right now. Um, Mozzie's an impact guy. Now we, and, and the quote was, I believe from their director of scouting, like, Hey, we've ne- we haven't had a defensive lineman here for us that we've graded this high in a long time. So they were clearly really high on Mozzie. Um, you know, I personally didn't love the pick. Um, but I think again, Mozzie steps in from day one and contributes for them. Um, I will also say. I didn't love Tyler Smith, the Tyler Smith pick last year. And Tyler Smith ended up being a really good player for them. So, you know, clearly the Cowboys are doing something right. 
obviously they picked Mike of the year before. I didn't feel like that it was a challenge for them to do, but um, they've nailed their first round picks the last few years. I mean, you look at CD Lamb and in, in, in 2020. Um, who's their pick in 2019? Do you remember? Because I do not. I know Vanderesh was the year before. Yeah. Let's see. I'll I'll do a quick search. Um, but you know, I it clearly doing something right. I like the process with picking Mozzie, so I don't hate it. Um, I just wasn't a player that I loved, but again, the Cowboys liked him, so I'm not gonna knock it too hard because again, they they've had a solid process there in that organization for a few years now. Um, did they not have a pick? Oh, did they make a trade this year? Yes, they traded out of the first round for Amari Cooper. That's right. That was the Amari trade. Did not have a first round pick. Don't worry. The Raiders took Jonathan Abram there. That panned out for him. Um, just kidding. I love what the Raiders did this year in the draft. They're not one of my teams to talk about, but I love what they did. Um, but no, again, Schoonmacher probably reached, I think, with the guys that were on the board. But again, with the issue, the, the medical issues with um, with Darnell Washington kind of makes a little more sense why they took him. Uh, Schoonmacher over him. Solid tight end of Michigan, really good player. Um, DeMarvian Overshone, again, most armbands you've ever seen from a player on a football field. But the Texas defense was noticeably worse when he was off the field. Um, I think there's a couple of games where he missed this year, and they were noticeably worse up the middle for sure. Um, really rangy guy. I'm, I'm really curious to see how – uh, how Dan Quinn is going to use him and Micah as kind of two chess pieces, ver- you know, versatility-wise, guys that can kind of play a few different spots with the athleticism. So, um, really good blitzer. Again, converted safety. He's got a lot of range at 6'3", 229. He's a big linebacker too. So, um, coverage upside for sure. Um, there with uh, with Fahoko, and you're getting again uh, solid and solid end defender. Probably going to play as a wide nine type of guy. Um, Again, it gives you some variability to move Micah around a little bit at 6'4", 276. Um, you good run defender, pass rush upside. You don't really know. Um, more of a power guy, less less uh, you know, less bendiness to his game, if you will. But um, nonetheless, I think it's a it's a fine fourth round pick. Uh, with the Seam Richards in the fifth round, again a guy who who played a lot of snaps for for North Carolina, a guy who. Again, there's not. It's not like he was this. You know, if he was this great tackle, he'd have been picked earlier. But again, a solid guy who's going to come in and probably just provide depth um, for that room. And um, there's definitely flashes on tape. But I think again, when when you're projecting him as a starter, probably going to be a guard at the next level. Um, Eric Scott, I don't know much about. Um, he's a bigger guy from what it looks like with his physical profile. Um, didn't really super, didn't test super well, I guess. But um, again, just depth of the corner, probably a core special teamer. Um, Jalen Brooks in the seventh, I'll skip over Deuce and get him last. Um, again, South Carolina receiver, um, a bigger guy at 6'2", 205, bigger body. Again, just a little bit of depth there for that room. Don't know a ton about Brooks personally, but, um, but again, just, I think it's more depth for that room. Um, bigger body, you know, contested catch type of guy. So getting him in there and with Deuce, man, I mean, Deuce is 5'5", 178 or 179. He's short. I mean, he's small. That's really it. Other than that, I mean, Deuce is, um, an elite, elite player. I think an elite talent. You look at what he did at Kansas State, uh, went in there as an under-recruited guy out of Cedar Ridge High School in Round Rock. Um, goes to goes to K State and does all he was was, was a what a two-time first-team All-American. That's all he was was a was a first. Like, I mean, he goes in there and, and again he's small, but he's a he's a two-time first-team All-Purpose All-American. You can't ask for much. You can't you can't ask for anything more from a guy like that. So I think he comes in from day one. He probably returns some punts for him. I think you're going to get some value added on on, on passing downs. 
Um, he's going to get some handoffs. He should. He's a really talented runner. He's small. He's hard to tackle. He's he's, he's ridiculously strong. So, um, you know, the size is going to limit him in the inside run game. It's going to limit him in the pass protection game. But at the end of the day, you're getting a really, really talented individual. A guy who's who's very, very gifted in what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's just a little bit small. But again, I think, man, after the catch, I mean, he he made that Bamba defense look silly at times, man. The guys just don't do that. Guys just don't do that normally. So super talented individual. The size limits him, obviously. But again, makes defenders miss. Value added in the passing game. Don't be shocked if he maybe converts to slot receiver in a couple of years. The shiftiness off the line, the ability to get open. Don't be shocked if he gets a lot of slot receiver for them too. Yeah, overall, I like the Cowboys class. Um, some interesting spots where they picked guys. I didn't think I think they could have traded back and still gotten the guys they got. Um, I liked Mozzie, and I think he'll have a good role for them, just not in the first round. Uh, and then Deuce, I did really like, obviously, because we played him, but also I think he just fits a need. He's going to be a good complimentary back to Tony Pollard, and I really think it's a good spot for him. And I just all added up, and it looked really good in the end, and hopefully it pans out. Um, don't really know much about the other guys, but at that point you're kind of just drafting you know, depth or projection guys and kind of seeing – what what role you envision for these guys and i think they did a good job of that this year more so than some other years a lot of the times they they have a couple good guys but the rest of the guys are just like terrible picks and i think this year you might not have any like home run hits but i don't know if you're gonna have as many misses like complete misses either so overall i think a well-rounded class as for the texans i thought they had a good draft um the only thing that kind of knocked it was the trade up to three they did give up next year's first-round pick, which was kind of tough, I thought. Um, second overall, they took C.J. Stroud. Um, I think he'll end up panning out for him. Should start. Davis Mills, Case Keenum will be the backups. And it fills a hole. I mean, they need a quarterback. They need to build that offense and really the team as a whole from the ground up. Then they traded from 12 all the way up to 3 to take Will Anderson. Um, significant void that they had last season. Uh, they didn't have many sacks. and they just didn't have much pressure at all. I mean, um, they had a bad run defense as well. So just all around pretty poor from the front seven last year. Um, at the 62nd overall pick in the second round, they took Juice Scruggs, center out of Penn State. I bet they wanted John Michael Smith, but he went five picks earlier. So I think their second option was probably Scruggs here. Um, the Texans... They traded around a little bit, but they stuck here and took him. Um, I mean, should be a plug-and-play guy, I assume. Uh, I think Quisenberry was their center last year. Wasn't too good for him. Uh, more of a pass blocker, and run blocking wasn't very good. Um, so depending on what roles they see for those guys, they could still both start. In round four, pick 109 that they got from Vegas. Um I took Dylan Horton, the defensive end from TCU. He had 10 and a half sacks this past year, which I didn't know. Um, but I don't know if he'll play a whole lot early on. Probably be some sub package, you know, here and there where he'll, where he'll step in and get some snaps. Um, and they have Jerry Hughes, Sheldon Rankins, or they're all a little older. Um, 
in the fifth round at 167, they drafted Henry Toa Toa to play inside linebacker for him, I think. Um, really solid college career at Tennessee and then at Bama, two years at each. He had um, and he was product, productive pass rusher. I think he had seven sacks in his two years at Bama. But also, their linebacker room was aging, um, and they didn't have, like, a for sure two starters. I mean, they had uh, Christian Kirksey, Corey Littleton were the main two guys. But I think both those guys aren't, you know, written in as starters. And I think Toto with a good camp could be a starter for him inside there. And then in the sixth round, second, 201st overall. Took Jarrett Patterson, center on a Notre Dame, um, just adding more depth and competition to that offensive line. He, coming from Notre Dame, played guard and center. I think just the Notre Dame offensive line connection was kind of what did it for Houston with this pick. Um, they, you know, Notre Dame has normally has a pretty good rushing attack, so I assume Patterson's a better run blocker than a pass blocker. And early on, hopefully, he'll develop his pass blocking game and hopefully um, – find a more significant role for himself. And then later in the sixth round, the Texans selected Xavier Hutchinson, the wide receiver out of Iowa State. Slipped a little bit. Thought he was going to be like a fourth uh, fourth round pick, but he's 6'3". Uh, he had a productive college career. A ton of catches at Iowa State. I think he led the country in catches one or two seasons. Um, 3,000 yards and 15 touchdowns in his three years at Iowa State. Very productive, and he's at least two inches or two inches taller than the average receiver on Houston. Um, they have Nico Collins, who's 6'4", but other than that, they don't really have anyone that's, you know, that tall. Um, Brandon Hill, safety out of Pittsburgh, was taken in the seventh. Not a whole lot to him, uh, just a depth piece here. They drafted really well last year, especially in the secondary. He Hill had 162 tackles in his three years at Pittsburgh and three picks. And he'll kind of just, like I said, add depth, faster guy. And so you're probably drafting a special teamer at that point, faster guy that can play safety. A lot of times a special teamer um, and kind of be a gunner on kickoffs and punts. So overall, I thought not a bad class, not a great class. But when you have when you get Will Anderson and CJ Stroud, um, definitely makes it look really good. And I think both those guys will have a big role, obviously, from year one and on. I mean, right now they're probably practicing rookie minicamp starting up pretty soon. But I thought they did a good job of addressing depth as well while giving guys chances to compete for a starting role. I love this class. Um, Loved what they did. Loved the process. I know PFF put out a video that they didn't like. They thought it was a bad process going up to get get Will. But at the end of the day, you weren't getting that kind of player at 12 that was a guaranteed hit. Like this feels like guaranteed one of the safest players. Maybe the sa- probably the safest player in the whole class is Will Anderson, right? He's probably the safest player in the entire class. Him or like Bijan. Um, in terms of like just floor, like what they're gonna be at the next level. You know Will is going to be a Pro Bowler at some point. He's that good of a please just that good of a, t- a talent. Um Obviously, the ceiling is sky high for him, um, but I, I love what they did. I, I said it would be a mistake if they passed on quarterback. Uh, they took CJ, which was the 100% right move. I really like CJ's game. He's an awesome player, um, top 10 player in, in the draft for me. It's really just a matter of getting him out of structure and making sure he can be comfortable in there. But again, Texans have a solid offensive line. 
Um, I, I thought Scruggs was maybe a little bit early for Scruggs, but again, they move up for him. So they, they had some conviction. Clearly they moved up to get him. So I'm not going to hate on that pick too much. Um, but the, again, the, the headliners is the fact that they get CJ and they get will um, you get your franchise quarterback and you get D'Amico Ryan's the elite edge He's always wanted. Um, you know, I think when you look down kind of down the board a little bit, I love the Dell pick in, in the top of the third round. Um, an elite playmaker in, in college who who tore it up at Houston. Um, you know, it, it gets CJ a weapon. I think he's the kind of receiver that CJ is really going to like to work with. I'm out of the slot for sure. Obviously, loved going to the slot with in, with two years, or especially his, his I guess his first year as a starter with JSN. Um, and obviously this this year just a, a big year for all their receivers. Obviously. Um, but I love the Dell pick at the top of the third round, get an elite, uh, an elite playmaker. You guys going to step in from day one and, and be a great slot receiver for you. I think, um, you know, Dylan Horton, uh, again, you're betting on the upside as a pass rusher. Um, you know, probably, it probably needs to play big end for him a little bit small undersized, but didn't love the way he played at TCU when he was kicked inside as a pass rusher. Um, especially as a run, as a run defender there, I didn't love it. Um, but I like his ability as a pass rusher. Toto, uh, one of the safer linebackers in this class, I thought. I'm probably never going to be like this Pro Bowl elite player, but guy I think is always going to be a, a solid player for him. I think he comes in from day one. Special teams ace. Um, you know, probably one of the players that Nick Saban has raved about, raved about the most through the, whole, through the entire process in the last year. Um, you know, he loves Toto. Was a, it was a huge part of that defense this year. Um, and I think, again, just a safe player. Uh, Jarrett Patterson, Xavier Hutchinson, Brandon Hill. Patterson, again, coming from Notre Dame, going to be a technically pretty good player. Um, you know, probably going to play guard for that. Well, one of him or Juice probably plays guard at some point. Don't know if he's a starter right away like Juice is going to be. But, again, I, li- I like the player in, in Patterson and a pretty high floor um, guy that I feel like you can get, get some contribution from in a couple of years. Um, Brandon Hill, safety from Pittsburgh. Don't hate it. Don't love it. Don't know much about him. Probably going to be a special teamer for them. But I love – the Xavier Hutchinson pick at, at six, at, in round six there. Uh, I don't know what overall pick that was, but I, I love the pick for him late in the sixth round. Um, Hutchinson is a guy I thought should have gone a lot earlier. Made some crazy circus circus catches at, at Iowa State. Um, you know, probably would have been picked higher had he had a year like he did in 2021 again. Um, just kind of a down year for him in 2022, a down year for the entire Iowa State team. So um, really would have liked to see him have better numbers, not necessarily his fault, but would have liked to see that team have better numbers for his sake in 2022. Um, but again, a really, really solid player that I think they got great value in Hutchinson. So um, obviously the, the the pick the pick trade, they gave up a, a haul. I mean, they gave up um, to get up to three. They got three and a fourth round and 105 where they picked. I believe that that was a total. No, that was the. That who what pick was that for them? 105. That was Horton was the one. It was the pick from uh, yeah. they got I believe from Arizona, but um or something like that. Or maybe they, oh no, I think they maybe moved it to get I don't remember. But they they got a fourth round pick in return with third overall pick. But they gave up uh they gave up 12 and 33, and then they gave up a first round next year, a first round pick next year, and a, and a third rounder next year. It's not the thing is it's not Cleveland's pick. It's their pick. So um. You know, in terms of trade value, we'll know more about how that trade looks in a year. Um, but I think with the players that got like like that trade doesn't necessarily impact the draft class as a whole. I think holistically, the draft class is awesome. The trade value maybe kind of it gets determined a little bit more next year. I don't. It's projected as a top two pick. I don't think it's a top two pick. I think they're going to win some games. I think they're going to be better than Tennessee next year. I'll put it to you that way. 
I think Tennessee's not going to – I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if Tennessee's going to have a great year. Um, it really is dependent upon that offensive line, I think, truly. Um, I think they're going to have a good year. I think they could have a couple more wins than maybe Indy. I think it'll take a few. I think Richardson, if they do it the right way, should be starting from day one and and, and just fail, literally stumble his way through becoming a starter like, like Josh Allen did. So probably going to be a rough year in Indy. Um, they're going to have to stomach that and kind of keep it pushing. So I don't think it's a top two pick. Um, it's probably a top 12 pick. Um, but you know what? You got Will Anderson and CJ Stroud out of it, and you get, you gave up a third rounder, but whatever. That's a third round pick. These two guys are franchise cornerstones. This is the absolutely the right way they should have gone about it. I know I kind of we we'd floated it a few weeks, not on the pod, but we personally we floated it to each other. You know, I think one of us mentioned it like, hey, what if they go to three? Like, what if they just got both of them? We were like, ah, they probably wouldn't do that. It's a lot of capital to give up, and um, didn't know if Arizona wanted to go back that far. And sure enough, you know what? It happened. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal draft from the Houston Texans, and um. Really, really love what they did here. Um, yeah, that kind of rounds out, I guess, the two local teams we'll talk about. Um, we'll kind of get, I don't want to say quickly, but we'll get kind of quickly through the our, our, our two teams we liked and disliked here. Um, but I'll, I'll let you kick it off with the teams that you liked and then add any kind of final thoughts to the Houston's draft. And I think Houston did a good job. Um, I think they addressed needs. Well, really, every, a lot of positions were needs for them, but I think a lot of these guys could come in day one and have solid impacts on that roster and help them compete in the division. Um, but I guess kind of remains to be seen what they end up actually doing along with the rest of the draft class. But first winner was easy. It was the Philadelphia Eagles be pretty quick on this. Um, they didn't trade their picks a whole lot. Um, they took Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith in the first, both I thought pretty good value in both picks while also putting them in a room that's experienced um, and can kind of help them develop as players on and off the field. 65, they took Tyler Steen, a little bit of a reach, probably their worst pick, but they do need some O-line help a little bit. Um, lost a couple guys, one starter, uh, so Steen probably come in and compete for that job. 66, they took Sidney Brown safety out of Illinois. Pretty solid get for them. Won't start, but Another developmental guy that can probably start before his rookie contract's over. And the fourth, it took Keely Ringo at 105. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought Keely would be gone by then, if not gone by the third round. Getting him in the fourth was a solid get. Obviously, there's a reason he went there, so I'm not going to go too crazy about it. But I think it was a good pickup for them, and he should start once they move on from their two corners in a couple years. If not sooner, they can kind of find different roles for those guys on the field. In the sixth at 188, they took Tanner McKee. Um, compete for QB2, I assume, um, you know, out of Stanford. Pretty solid player for them and should come in and, you know, provide depth, for, get some guy, get some of the QB reps in practice. Seventh, they took Moro Ojomo out of Texas, a D-tackle who, Again, won't start, but it'll provide depth to that D-line um, when you need it, kind of rotate through. And I mean, there's nothing but upside for guys drafted in the seventh round. It's You draft them not counting on them, so if they do work out, it's just all that much better. And I think Ajoma was a good pick for them. And while you can always go a couple different directions, just being that everyone that's on the board, um, he should play really well for them uh just be a good practice body and see the field occasionally um but i think he'll do better than the average 
seventh round pick. You know, I, I, listen, Howie Roseman just proves the draft is not that hard. It's not that hard. It, and again, the medicals have to check out for them, but they're a they're a Super Bowl contender, and they have they have the luxury to take the chance on Akili Ringo in the fourth round. They have a chance. They, they can take the chance on Nolan Smith at the back end of the first. They can take the chance on Jalen Carter at the top. So, um, I'm with you. Love this class. Love Carter. Love Nolan. I talked at length about how those two sticking together is big for me. Again, keeping you know keeping Nicole B. Dean with that group as well. And I think the other thing when you, when you get down the board with Keely Ringo, there were character questions with him. Apparently, that was the word was and and, I, and this is not me saying this. This is what I was told from those who have sources. Uh, you know, with 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 these guys at the Senior Bowl and the Combine, was that with Keeley, there were there were off the field question marks that were not answered in interviews, and it dropped him down teams. He had a he apparent the word is that most almost every team visited with him at the Combine. A lot of teams talked to him to get clarity on, hey, what's this about? What's this about? Tell us about this. Like, what do you like here? And those that had him on top 30 visits still didn't get clarification. So that's why he fell to the fourth. Keeley was a guy that I looked at for the Chargers to take in the second and bo- and third round. I thought, man, that could be a great pick for them. Clearly, they passed on him for a reason. Clearly, every other team passed on him for a reason. So don't know what it is. I I, I hope Keeley figures it out. I hope he has a great career. Um, but nonetheless, I think you look at the rest of this class and it, well, again, I guess go back to this, keeping him with Nakobe, getting him back with him and then getting him with keeping with Nolan is big for him as well, as well as just the veteran leadership on that team. Um, love the Sidney Brown pick. And he was one of my favorite safeties in this class. Um, you know, probably would have moved him up the board late had I not just, you know, I had I had time to watch more tape. I probably probably would have gone to safety too for me. I just really didn't have time last week at all. I know I was slammed up until the draft. So didn't really get a chance to do that. Um, but again, again, Tyler Steen, the guy who probably projects as a guard at the next level, but played solid tackle for Alabama. Um, probably a guard, though, at the next level, but just depth there. But again, this class is great. Um, love what Philly did. Love what Howie Roseman keeps doing in the draft. So um, phenomenal work there. And mine's the Cardinals. Um, not just because they got a haul of draft picks in return to go you know, move back from three. Um, you know, I want to say they what they give up to go back up to six. They gave up. And they traded. Uh, they got six and eighty one in exchange for uh, twelve, thirty four, and one sixty eight. I mean, every day of the week I'm making that trade. I didn't love the the value for the lines there at all, but whatever. I mean, when when they got thirty three in return from Houston, they were able to kind of give up thirty four. So I think when you look at what they moved down, they they moved down three spots in exchange for all the stuff they got from Houston, 81, and they only had to give up a fourth and a fifth. I mean, to me, that that's, that's a, that's a masterclass um, from, uh, from old buddy. I forget his name, uh, the brand new GM for the Cardinals, but masterclass from him and Gannon, obviously they lose the tampering pick. I don't really know what that was about. That kind of came out like the night of the draft, like right before, like the, what was funny is there was a trade and we were like, you literally go, Oh my God, Philly just moved to three. And I was like, Oh my God. Like we both thought at first glance that it was a trade to three with the Cardinals and Philly, what it was like tampering, like Jonathan Gannon gets traded to the, like the, they had to trade him to the, to the Cardinals, like an exchange. They got like a third round pick form or whatever, super weird stuff, but nonetheless. Um, and then when you actually get into their class, Love Paris. Uh, he's a really good. He's my tackle one. 
Um, don't, six was maybe a hair early, but again, just you get the first tackle off the board at six. That's a great move. B.J. Ojolari in the second round was huge for me, and I loved his game. Um, I believe he was, let's see, he was what, 30th on my board, so value-added pick there, edge four or edge six for me. Um, really good player, really really bendy, a lot of upside as a younger player as well. Um, third round, they get Garrett Williams, probably would have been in contention to be a first-round pick had he not torn the ACL, really talented player uh, out of Syracuse, uh, and a defense that had a lot of NFL talent in that backfield. Um, Michael Wilson, similar deal. Couldn't really stay healthy at Stanford, but tore up the senior bowl. If that guy can stay healthy, that's a great receiver pick for Arizona there. Um, John Gaines in the fourth round. Man, John Gaines is a stud. Um, wanted the Chargers to get him in round four. Goes what? Like the took two picks before him, so I was a little disappointed there. But Gaines is awesome. Um, if I look up John Gaines' um, – what was his combine numbers? Because he had a – Let's see. Here we go. Look up the RAS. Get it on Twitter here. Um, it'll load the graphical load. 965 RAS score. But here's the thing. He ran a 445 shuttle and a 37 or a 731 37 three cone would be alien work. A 731 three cone um, and then a, a 10 split of, of 165. 165 was a 10 out of 10 RAS grade um elite ver- elite explosive grades but again the agility grades the shuttle and the three cone i believe the stat is guards who have a, a i think it's a three cone over like set uh, under seven point like something like 7.4 something like that um are all it's all starters in their career and most of them end up making a pro bowl the fact that and i was a big fan of his tape at ucla uh guy who's got the best football ahead of him for sure um trans he kind of moved over from defensive line former d tackle um incredibly athletic love him in the fourth round he's he's going to be a starter for them probably from day one he's a starting nfl guard 100 um so love gains there for them kind of round it out they get clayton tune out of houston quarterback who's like 40 years old um actually i don't know he's super old he's like 27 like legitimately um but four-year starter veteran presence i guess and as a football player um seen a lot of football probably competes for playing time this year when Kyler's out. Don't want know what the plan is for them before he's healthy. Um, they go with uh, another fifth round pick to go Owen Papo, a uh, nickname to the freak out of Auburn. Dude is an absolute monster athlete. Um, Keetra Clark corner who Trevor Sycamore was, he loved Keetra Clark's game. I remember we talked about it at length on a couple of their podcasts. So um, a somewhat a highly tied name in the draft community who really liked this guy. Um, probably got a value pick here. Picking him in the sixth round, um, corner out of Louisville, a little bit smaller guy, but probably plays in the slot for him. And then Dante Stills out of West Virginia, um, friend of ours uh, on staff at West Virginia, loves this guy. Um, talked with him, a, a, you know, a while back about Dante, and uh, he liked Dante a lot. Um, obviously, his older brother DJ or Darius still got drafted in the fourth round a couple of years ago. So um, Dante gets drafted here um, in the sixth round again. High upside guy. I think, again, best football is probably ahead of him. So um, you're just betting on the – like you said, you're betting on the upside and you're getting late in the sixth round, early in the seventh round. The guy works. He's, it's great. You're not expecting him to. So, But I love the Cardinals did. Uh, I think when you – you nailed all their first, what, four picks here. Um, like I said, loved gains. Really liked Wilson there in the third, late in the third round. Garrett Williams in the third is a great value. Um, don't know when he's going to play, but again, great value there if he does get on the field eventually. And then you get Paris and BJ Ojalar at the top is awesome. So love what the Cardinals did. And then they get their return value next year in the, in the pick. They get two picks next year. 
Um, I'll plant this flag right now on May 1st, 2023. The Cardinals are drafting Caleb Williams next year first overall. They have the worst roster in the in the NFL. Kyler Murray is not playing midseason. He had surgery on, like, what, January 3rd. And ACL recovery is what? You're a kinesiology major, Brett. It's you, and, and usually it's 9 to 12 months. Typically it's right around 10, 10 and a half, correct? Yeah, you're you're probably looking at fully because, of course, you can recover from it to be cleared, and that's about nine or ten months. But then you have to build back up, so it's probably like eleven to eleven and a half total. That's what I'm saying. So if he has an, let's call it an eleven month recovery, that puts him playing December December third. First of all, a Kyler Murray's game does not does not lend itself to a quick ACL recovery. The way he plays, the way he moves, he he's so reliant upon his legs and his shiftiness. He ain't playing in 10 months. You're going to tell me he's going to step on the field in, in December, late in the season, when they're probably out of it? No. They're not going to rush him back. Because he's going to play for, what, two games? Nah. They're they're picking a quarterback. That front office wants their guy. They also want to reset the, 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 entire, the entire balance sheet for them, if you will. The entire the entire financial kind of just f- forecast of the entire team for the next five years and get a rookie quarterback contract. They'll trade Kyler to I don't know where. Um, it's probably too early to tell that, but they're going to trade him somewhere that needs a quarterback. Maybe it's New York. Maybe New York gets him after after Rogers. Maybe Rogers retires and they go, we're going to trade for Kyler. I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do. But someone will trade for Kyler, and they're going to pick Caleb Williams the first overall pick. And probably probably make three first round picks next year. Think about it. I mean, a team that's trading for Kyler probably has a top a top fifteen, top twelve pick. And then they have Houston's, who's probably a top fifteen pick, top twelve pick. Like I said, just saying, man, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I could see someone trading for Kyler. I don't know what kind of compensation Kyler would get. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're looking at a first round pick just because he hasn't done a whole lot. Plus, with him being out, what should be the whole year this year just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know what teams would trade for him, but I think it would be a lot of going back and forth in terms of compensation to where I don't know when or if it would get done. Um, but yeah, they do have the worst roster, but I, overall, I like their draft. Couple confusing picks, but that's bound to happen when you have like nine picks, I think. Um, I did really like the whole situation to get Paris Johnson. That was really, really good. Um, I liked Papo in the fifth was really good. John Gaines in the fourth. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to have a good class is a couple solid day three picks and then a good first round pick. And that they did, did just that. Um, my second winner was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unfortunately, they, they did have a really good draft. I think the AFC North as a whole had a solid draft. Some teams better than others. I think the Steelers and Ravens were better than the Bengals and Browns. Bengals did have a good draft. Browns did fairly well, given that they didn't have a pick until the third round. Um, looking at the Steelers draft, they traded up three spots for Broderick Jones. I thought that was solid to get the guy they wanted before the class kind of took a hit uh, talent-wise. In the second, they waited and took Joey Porter at 32 at the very top of the second with the pick that they got for Chase Claypool. Um, That was a really good pick as well, value pick there for them. Later in the second with their own pick, they took Keanu Benton, who we both like, and I think he should be a solid guy on that D-line. He should start. Um, 
I don't know what those guys' contract looks like right now on the D-line, but I know there's a couple older guys. In the third, 93, they took Darnell Washington. Obviously, this is a little bit of a risky move. And they do have Pat Fryermuth, which made the fit a little confusing. But um, with him being there, I think they wanted to take a chance, and they're a team that can do that at the tight end position. I just thought they might go another direction with the pick that they had. Uh, round four, pick 132, they took Nick Erbig out of Wisconsin, the edge rusher. I really like this pick a lot. Uh, they do need another edge rusher, and he should compete for a starting role. I don't know who else is in that edge room, but he should compete. And then they had a couple seventh-round picks. They took Spencer Anderson at 251 out of Maryland, probably play guard for them. And then Corey Trice, a corner out of Purdue at 241, who probably you know should have been a fourth, fifth-round pick, um, but ended up falling to the seventh here. You know, 20 spots from being undrafted, and the Steelers, I think, just got him because they didn't want to fight for him in the undrafted room. Likely would have gone undrafted, but a lot of the times in the seventh round, you see teams mainly just prioritizing UDFAs and making those guys their draft picks rather than actually drafting guys. Um, they don't want to have to compete with contracts and stuff because UDFAs, I mean, they are effectively free agents and they get to pick where they go. Um based on what teams want to offer them. Like, I think that's why the Ravens got Keaton Mitchell is because they called him early on. And a lot of the teams, I think you'll see more so than just the Ravens and Steelers do go about it that way. Um, but overall, I liked the Steelers haul a lot, a lot of big name guys in a class where they just had seven picks. Um, but it was, I think it was effective the way they did it. And I think it's going to turn out probably three day one starters from this class as well, maybe four. Yeah, no, I, the Steelers did, did did a great job. Um, they took one, two, three, four top fifty players for me in the first four picks. Um, I love the move to get Broderick again. The, the process is huge. It's a, it's the right move. The process is great. I think he's got the highest ceiling of all the tackles in this class. Um, natural left tackle, stud athlete. Love the pick there. Um, I mean, the Porter, the port, the Joey Porter Jr. pick was like the easiest top of the second round pick I've ever seen. It, it was right there for him. Um, shoot, I was banging the table like, hey, take take a tackle over Porter at 17 because he can get a corner like Keeley at, at 32. When they just they got Porter Jr. at 32 it was a top he was a top what 11 or 12 on my board. Uh, I'll go to my big board. He was 13th for me, so 12th for you. So. Man, they, nailed, they nailed those two picks, and then they get um, Keanu Benton, who was a top 50 player for top 50 player for me. Um, what he's probably like a, a 51 to 60 for you, probably. Yeah, he's probably just outside. Yeah. Um. So it nailed that, and then they it got a top a top 30 player for the both of us in Darnell Washington. Um, you know, at 93, which again a little bit of context there, right? So ankle injury it sounds like maybe a knee um they didn't really you know check out medically um but again for them i think when you look at what you know with the board how it was i think you just take the elite value and hope that he can stay healthy um but with darnell i mean i think when you look at what they want what their identity probably wants to be offensively is they probably want to run the ball first and foremost they want to be hard-nosed they'll be physical i think that they accomplished that with their first four picks i think darnell certainly does that and i think that he you know, Fryermuth probably gives you the opportunity to kind of play some big slot as well, or kind of, a, again, a detached role, as well as I think you look at the fact you can run Darnell as an H-back, and you can run these kind of strong and weak eye formations where um, you line up strong eye and you put 
you put uh you know Frymouth out on the end line and then you put uh you know Darnell in the backfield as a fullback type of guy or an H back or a, kind of a sniffer. So you know well you know one of the two um you kind of run that role for him as an H back fullback or or an inline tight end. I think he can do all of those as well as a red zone weapon. So love the pick there for them. Um you know in the third round and I think Erbig uh quality edge rusher in the fourth back into the fourth I think you take the chance on the upside for him in the fourth round is good value um Spencer Anderson don't know much about him probably just a depth piece that you probably cut in a couple years potentially but Corey Trice um was a big name that I heard about all as a Chargers fan because everyone was you'd have thought that they spent a first round pick on Max Duggan when they took him over Corey Trice in the seventh round well 30 other teams 31 other teams didn't didn't pick him Clearly, there's a reason. It sounded like for Corey Trice, the reason was he's got like silly putty for a knee. It sucks for him. I hate to, I hate to hear that. <laughs> That's my teams don't pick the guy early. Clearly, the Steelers wanted him, like you said, wanted to prioritize him as the, as as a, as a UDFA, and they just took him early. So, um, you know, before they could get to the UDFA period. So, um, you know, a value pick there. Don't know if the guy's career is going to pan out just because of the injury stuff and, and and the knee, but hopefully it does. Um, for his sake, I think, you know, you never want to see a guy. I think I'm rooting for all what 200 and what 239 picks in this year's in this year's draft or 259. I'm rooting yeah. for all 50, 259 of them. And I'm I, truly I am. I, I hope all these guys have, have good, fruitful careers. Not all going to be that way. But unfortunately, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, my next winner, my last winner here that we're going to talk about, obviously, more more good drafts than just these. But, man, I love what the Giants did. Love their process this year. They go up to get banks. Uh, they flop picks to go get banks. I believe they only gave up like a sixth or something like that. Man, it was, it was a cheap move to go up. And they gave up a, a, a fifth and a seven. Like that's a great move to go get up and get, you know, flop to get the guy you want. I, I liked banks a lot. Um, you know, ended up being, you know, again, top 30 player for me right at 20 on my big board. So really talented player. Um, I think he slots in as a CB1 from day one for them. Uh, definitely some question marks in his game, like every other prospect, but a really solid player. Um, they get in the second round, a guy who we mocked to him in, in the first round um, at one point when John Michael Schmitz, who center center one for me in this class, really enjoyed his game. Um, you know, he probably the highest floor center in the class, probably the probably the highest ceiling center as well. So um, awesome player. Love the process getting him there. And then they move up to get Hyatt in the third round, who, again, I believe we mocked to him at one point earlier, you know, much earlier in the process before the kind of the hype on Hyatt fell off a little bit. But I believe in mock, yeah, mock, or no, mock four, maybe mock five. Yeah, mock, ooh, maybe not. Maybe it was mock one. Let me scroll through. Yeah, mock 1.0, we had Hyatt going to them. And then I believe mock 3.0, we had JMS going to them. Um, so yeah, man, they they took two guys, all three players that they took. They they were first round players. Um, obviously Banks, I don't think we ever had him getting there in a mock. And then we, you know, JMS and Hyatt both. You know, Hyatt's probably not a first round player. I thought JMS was a first round type of player, not necessarily a first round grade, but a first round type of player. Guy who probably should have gone at the back end of the first, get him in the second round. They get Hyatt in, in the third, and they move up to get. Love the process there. Um, just the way they kind of went about it. Um, get a guy who high upside, low floor, um, you know, got to be in the right situation. Uh, but I kind of get after that. Eric Gray in the fifth was, oh, that was a good value pick. He did really good stuff at Oklahoma this last year. Um, truly like a one cut back type of guy, old school one cut back. But again, like what he does, good size at five, at five ten two oh seven. Um, so really like his game. 
and then kind of round it up. They go Trey Hawkins at Old Dominion, Jordan Riley, and then your various Owens. So don't know a ton about those three guys at the end there. Obviously, um, you know, corner, D tackle, safety, two special teamers, and a guy who's a, a D tackle depth piece. Um, you know, Jordan, I know Jordan is a big fella. I know that. Uh, it brings the beef up front. So love to see that for New York. But man, love their love their first three picks for sure. Guys who I thought all could have could have been first rounders. Less and less height as we got closer to draft day. Probably thought it was a mid second, but getting him in the third is huge. Uh, love Eric Gray as well. I think he's a solid compliment to Saquon there in that backfield. So, but love. I mean, they walk out of here with basically three starters. So I love it. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with what they had, kind of making moves up and down the draft order, um, kind of filling needs and finding value, and they did a good job of it overall. Um, like you said, probably three starters, and they addressed the positions they needed. We talked about it. Like you said, we had fits for him. And overall, a lot of picks that made sense for him. Not, no real head scratchers and should pan out well for him this season as they compete in a tough division. Uh, my first kind of draft class that I I have this as a dislike because of the value and not because of the class. It was the Detroit Lions. I thought they overall did a good job of drafting needs. It's just kind of where they picked him. They could have found a lot more value and gained a lot more draft capital maybe in next year's draft or even more picks in this year's draft, but they didn't. Um we already discussed 12th overall, they took Gibbs. Probably could have gotten him 10 picks later. 18th overall, they got Jack Campbell. Could have gotten him 10, 20 picks later. Um, second round, they had a couple picks. 34, they took Sam Laporta, which I thought it was a really good pick. Um, over Michael Mayer, though, was a little surprising. I think they could have taken Michael Mayer. Um, pick 45, they took Brian Branch, who probably should have gone around 20. That was a really good pick. Third round, 68, they took Hennon Hooker, which I actually liked for him. I think that'll be a good fit for Hooker. And I think while he probably won't play this year, um, definitely can come in and compete next year and kind of get Goff's money off the books if they can. In the sixth, or excuse me, later in the third, 96th overall, they took Broderick Martin, D-tackle. You know, they have a good D-line and they're kind of building it up with some young guys and he should come in and fight for that starting three tech. Um, don't know if he'll win it, but nonetheless, more depth. And that's kind of what you're just looking for, really third round and on. Um, round five, pick 152, Colby Sorsdahl. Never, I think I've heard of him once, but couldn't really tell you anything about him. Uh, depth piece for them. Seventh round, pick 219, wide receiver Antoine Green. Um, added to what's a pretty, from a volume standpoint, a pretty loaded wide receiver room going into OTAs and stuff. So that should be fun to see how all those guys compete and kind of fight for those five, six spots on the actual 53-man roster. But I thought overall they just really confusing with when they took guys and then for the Sam Laporta instance, why they took him over Mayer. Um, some good picks in there, but also some head scratchers. Yeah, I think if you had told me like, hey, the the Lions made their first pick at 12 because of a trade, and you just told me the names that they made, and, like, you told me, hey, here's where they picked, here were the players, I would have said, oh, they took Branch at 12, Hooker at 18, Gibbs it at the top of the third, took Campbell at, you know, in the middle of the third, and then 
you know, or Laporta there, and they got the other guy in the third round. Like, hey, one of them fell. Like, hey, maybe, like, maybe Jack Campbell fell because the linebacker cast was weak. Campbell fell from the top of the third. Like, that's how I would have ordered it. So I like the class a lot. Like, I love their draft class as a whole. I mean, Broderick Martin, probably a little bit early, whatever. Sorsdahl, Antoine Green, you're throwing darts at a dartboard. I, it's whatever. Um, but the, the top five picks they made were really – I like all the players. It's just the decision, the processes of the decision, that like the choices that they made. And it's like the alternative. I hate – hate the strong word. I strongly dislike economics because economic principle doesn't really work in real life sometimes, like a lot of the time. But if you look at like opportunity cost, which is a big economic thing, if you look at opportunity cost, like – the opportunity cost of Gibbs and uh, Gibbs, Campbell and Laporta at the picks they were made. Like I liked Michael Mayer a lot better than Laporta. You look at 18, like, man, they could have gotten another player there and maybe gotten a linebacker later. So, I mean, for what first linebacker came off the board was Drew Sanders in the top of the third round. Am I correct in saying that to the Broncos? Um, or I guess, other than, other than Campbell, right? I mean, yeah, it was Drew Sanders in the third round. You could have gotten Campbell later, I feel like, or maybe could, and, and I don't know how they felt the league felt about these guys. I just, it's more to, to me about the opportunity cost of, of the guys that could have picked there. But again, when you just give me the class as a whole and you look at the, just the players holistically, I love the group. So I didn't I didn't hate it as much as a lot of people did. A lot of people hated their draft. But when you look at the players they got, I really enjoyed it. I just It's the matter of where they took them and, and the order in which they did it. But in the day, that's not a huge deal to me. A class I did not like was the Washington Commanders. Um, and it's not just the Forbes pick. Like the Forbes pick, like – and that was lower on than, than some people were. It's just the rail thin corner kind of worries me. And like the, the interception numbers were a little bit inflated. Like he never, like some of them were just kind of tipped balls that he was just right there for. But nonetheless, Forbes is a really good player. I just hated what they did after that. I get it. Not like any other, any other, like the pick that I liked the most of them was probably KJ Henry in the fifth, like Jartavis Martin in the second round, in the middle of the second round. Okay. But like, yeah, he's a good player at a, at a, at a, at a out of Illinois, but, just better safeties available there, right? That's what that's just kind of how it how it felt. Ricky Stromberg in the in the third, okay, I suppose, but it felt like there were better centers available there. Like Olu Oluwatimi out of Michigan, better player than him, I think, and he was a fifth round pick. I get he's a little older, but still, like you look at the centers that were drafted after him, I just don't necessarily know if I love that move for them. So, um. You know, I don't love the class as a whole. Brain Daniels in, in the fourth round is a solid player. Good pick in the fourth, right about where he should have gone. KJ is a little bit of a value pick there in the fifth, I thought. Um, Chris Rodriguez, guy with some offensive questions. I know he got arrested for, I think, a DUI at some point. So powerful runner, just question marks there. And then um, Andre Jones of Louisiana. Don't know a ton about him, but ultimately, I just, the Forbes pick with Gonzalez right there. Like, what are we doing, guys? Banks on the board, Porter on the board. I can get taking Forbes over Keeley or, you know, the rest of the Cam Smith. But, man, over, like, over Gonzalez was crazy. And then over over Porter and Banks was still wild to me, so I just couldn't get behind it there. Start off start off rough with that pick. Didn't love the rest of them. I just, just a class I just, like, Commanders had an opportunity to get much better. And maybe, you know what? Maybe the point was to have a bad draft. And you know what? Caleb Williams is the first overall pick. I don't know. Maybe that was the point. But I just didn't love, um, you know, the process that they went with and kind of the, the players they took and didn't love it overall. Yeah, I didn't think it was great. I don't think it was bad as a lot of people do. Um, and I do like some of their picks. I really liked 
um, Braden Daniels, KJ Henry. I thought Rodriguez was a good pick for them just because of how their running back room currently looks. Um, I don't remember all the running backs that were on the board then, but the Forbes pick was a little confusing in terms of where he went. I thought most people thought he was a guy that could, you know, be taken early in the second and he and Jody Porter Jr. just kind of flip spots here. Um, but I guess they really liked Forbes. I don't know. Obviously, you don't know what other teams after 16 felt about Forbes because it didn't matter. Dertavius Martin was the main one for me that was really confusing. Have him listed as a safety, and I think, you know, you're picking 47th. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense for them to go back-to-back DBs. Nonetheless, Dertavius Martin, out of all the DBs that were available, I think Martin should have been like a fourth, maybe third. Um, you know, Stromberg's a guy that, Along the Arkansas D-line, he was like a force in the SEC, and he was really good. Um, he should come in. I mean, you figure he starts because of the roster they have. But I just you just don't know. But overall, I think they addressed the positions they needed to, just not when or who I would have thought. Um, so it wasn't terrible, but wasn't great. That was pretty much my thoughts on it. Um, my last team that I'm talking about here, is a little bit surprising. I thought they would do a little better as the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they were a loser for me as a whole in this draft. Just some confusing picks overall. Um, I don't believe they traded. They made a couple trades on day three, I believe. But other than that, they had one pick in each round. Felix Anodike, who's on at 31, I think was a little bit of a panic pick for them. I think guys they wanted or maybe guys they wanted to trade up for weren't there. Um, but nonetheless, he does fill a need. Rasheed Rice, wide receiver at SMU, I think this was a re- in result of a panic pick. Um, they didn't go receiver in the first because the receiver run, they couldn't get up the board, I don't think. So they felt like they had to take one here, and I think he was their highest rated of one. Maybe a little early for him. I thought he was probably going to go in the 70s. Um, but if they like him, I mean, I, he should work out in that offense. Wanya Morris, tackle out of Oklahoma, going at 92. Um, little confusing here i don't know what they see in him in terms of position or uh depth or if he's a starter or what uh chamari connor was i thought that was a good pick db out of virginia tech at 119 he should come in and have a big time role and bj thompson d end out of sfa um pretty local in texas in terms of where we are in texas but in terms of that team i mean a little bit of a hike for him um, I don't know if he'll see the field too much. Kondre Coburn in the sixth, D-tackle out of Texas. I thought that was a good pick. Nick Jones in the seventh out of Ball State. Some people like it. I didn't. It didn't really matter. I mean, it was last ten picks in the draft. It's not that they made bad picks necessarily. It's that they didn't trade. Like, if your guy's not there, don't sit and make a panic pick. Like, and I know you need a guy, you need a team to trade with you, but like someone is willing to trade to the last pick in the first round. There were multiple reports coming out that teams wanted to get into the first round. And I feel like they just were kind of too panicked that they didn't want to trade out and kind of be stuck with day two guys. They wanted to get a day one guy that would have been there on day two had they traded out. So a little bit confusing. Um, You know, Connor and Coburn were good picks, I thought, for him. Rasheed Rice will probably work out just because of how the offense is. And on a DK Uzama, I think we could see him, you know, have five sacks year one, or we could see him hardly see the field. I think it's a really rangy 
um, window for him. And I think he'll be a good run defender early on, but just not really what I would have done with the capital they had. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked FAU a lot. Uh, he's a good player. I just, I think at 31, I think you hit it. It's kind of, a, I think it was a panic pick when they're sitting there at 31 and 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 Jacksonville's on the clock. They take Harrison. They go, oh man, Murphy, Brzee, and Nolan's brother here. We'll get one of them. And they all three go in a row, and then they're sitting there like, man, well shoot, like we, what are we gonna do? Um, expected them to take a corner, like I, I thought they'd, they'd go Porter or, or um pardon me or like brant or branch here just with the board but um i don't know if he was a bad player so they reached a little bit um i mean the rest of the i i i wasn't gonna pick them as as a team that i disliked because it comes across as like oh a chargers fan just wants to like poo poo on the chiefs draft like i've been pretty open about saying that brett veach is one of the best gms in the league and dude's been on a heater for the last how many years in the draft he cooled off here i think the rashi rice pick he he can't play the same way he played at SMU in the NFL. The problem with him was at SMU he got to he got to go up against a bunch of a, a bunch of rinky dink corners who play in the American Conference and aren't going to go play in the big leagues. When he dude when he saw Jacorian Bennett and Deontay Banks, brother he ran they they made a point to get him away from Banks in that Maryland game. By the way, like they made a point. I don't know if you watched that tape. They made a point to get him away from Deontay Banks. They they would they, when Banks lined up on him, they were motioning uh, Rashi Rice a couple times to get Banks off of him, and Jacorian Bennett did just as well as as as, uh, as Banks. I think there was one play where like it was a like I forget the quarterback. It was Tanner Mordecai's quarterback, like lofted a ball over the middle, and Rice just got up a little bit higher than Jacorian Bennett did for the ball. But like not a great ball, not an NFL quarterback pass, and. Probably not a ball that comes down with in the next level because the, the safeties at the next level are better than they were at Maryland. Um, just naturally, NFL safeties are better than most college safeties. So, um, you know, don't look. I, I did not like Rashi Rice in the second round. And they moved up to get him, which was confusing with the other players on the board at receiver. Um, Wanya Morris, the other Oklahoma tackle, I guess. Um, yeah, I didn't really get a ton of chance to watch him in the Oklahoma games that I did watch. I think he's a little lean. Um, kind of reminds me of like similar to the Lucas Niang pick. It's like, okay, he's a right tackle. Maybe he can start for you, but I mean, he's a strong, he plays stronger than his frame lends itself to. I think when you look at him, it's just, I don't know. You're, you're really hoping he, he hits there. Uh, ESPN's way higher on him than, than, than the consensus was. Um, the rest of their class was kind of whatever. Um, I did love the Keandre Coburn pick in the sixth round. I loved him. But other than that, I mean, it just felt like they reached a little bit. Uh, FAU is a good player, and I think he's a fine guy to take at 32. It's just, I don't know. I think they could have gotten better value there. Um, but overall, didn't love the Chiefs draft, and I'm with you that I didn't love it. Uh, kind of disliked it as a whole, but I wasn't going to go say that. I didn't want to get just ridiculed for it. Um the draft that I didn't like was the Jets as my kind of final one. One that's not not being talked about a ton. Like I try I tried to pick drafts that people really weren't like outside of Arizona, I tried to pick drafts like the Giants, the Commanders, like teams that were a little like everyone's talking about oh man, the Lions. Like actually the Lions I think was a good conversation to have, but people are talking about, oh man, we love what the Colts did. Well, again, no way, guys. They had a million picks and they made a good they picked Kai. Like, no way we love the Colts did. Like I I wanted to pick teams a little bit different. Um to think when you look at what um 
you know, what the Jets did at 15. They take Will McDonald, which, again, Will's not a bad player. It's just a matter of, like, what they could have picked instead. They could have gotten Will later, I think. And maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but, you know, I think I think there were probably teams that wanted to go up and trade, and they didn't make that move. I don't know why they didn't. Um, you know, frankly, I think this was a panic pick, too. I think when you look at the... Uh, the guys like Van Ness goes ahead of him at, at 13, which they should have saw, seen coming. The fact that they moved with the Green Bay, they flopped. Then Broderick goes at 14 in a trade. I think they panicked and took Will. I think the process should have been we're going to pivot to JSN. We're going to pivot to Christian Gonzalez. We're going to pivot to uh, maybe they didn't like Gonzalez. Maybe we're going to pivot to Kalijah Canty. Maybe we're going to pivot to uh, maybe we move back. I, 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 I had a hard I have a hard time believing there wasn't a team that would move up for Christian Gonzalez here. That's my thought. Or like maybe we'd move up for a few spots for JSN. That's my only thing. They didn't pick up the phone. They didn't call. Could have taken Nolan or and maybe Nolan, maybe not Nolan with the with the injury thing, but maybe Miles Murphy here would have been fine to me. I, you know, just not McDonald. It was not the pick I would have made here. Um, and then you look at the kind of the rest of their class. I just didn't, just didn't really love it. I think when you look at what they're what they do in the second round. Um, You know, I think Joe Tittman's a good player. He wasn't wasn't the highest graded center for me. wasn't a top fifty player. I think he's a really big player. I think he's a big center. I think he slots in as a starter. I just, I mean, well, the Luke Whipler thing. Like, well, I don't know what the hell happened with him. He's a seventh rounder. But like, JMS was there. I'd have preferred JMS there. Um, wasn't the biggest Tittman fan. They go they go Carter Warren out of Pitt in the fourth round. I guess that's just depth at tackle that they didn't get early. Israel Benakanda I liked, but kind of the rest of it, like Zara Barnes. Coons in the seventh was fine. I just I didn't love their process to start the draft. I just like would have preferred a different edge at 15. Would have taken JMS in the second round better over Titman. Carter Warren, I guess. Abanacanda is a solid player. I just I didn't with what the Jets could have done, I didn't love what they did, if that makes sense. I think they could have gone different directions and done different things. Would have loved to see them trade back a little bit um, from either one of those two picks in the first or second round, considering they lost their third round pick. They're probably going to lose. A, they're going to lose a second, probably a first next year. Would have loved to see them move back and get some additional capital in the, in the future, maybe this year. Just didn't love their process personally. Um, I mean, solid players, I guess. I just, like I said, the pr- process is the big thing for me, especially in the draft. I, I, the, I value the process in which teams kind of undertake to do what they do. It's less about like, oh man, I'm going to, crucifying picking this player here like it's it's less about that to me it's more about like and i think it's all these draft grades like fans are so like oh man i hated this pick here well like maybe but the process works right like i didn't like this process at all to me that's just that's just kind of how i felt yeah the jets were another one of the more interesting drafts they didn't obviously didn't have a ton of capital but they did have a pick in each round um and i think that when you look back at it I mean, taking Will at 15, like you mentioned, a little a little bit of a stunner. Um, they had a deep edge room, and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense if they weren't going to go for a top-notch guy. 43, Joe Tittman. I actually didn't mind this pick. Probably would have wanted to trade back if you could have to take Tittman, but if they wanted him and they didn't have any calls, um, it made sense. Kind of get him in that room, start from day one. Carter Warren, tackle out of pit. Um, I mean, it makes sense that they took a tackle four-year starter, 39 career starts, made sense for him. Then they went back with another pit guy in Israel Benakanda, running back in the fifth. I really like this pick. Um, 
I thought this would be good as a backup. You know, Brees Hall coming off a knee surgery. Michael Carter kind of took a down, had a down year. Then the last three straight years, the running backs drafted for New York. Uh, Zaire Barnes, linebacker out of Western Michigan. I mean, you're just betting on traits on him. Um, I mean, he's a really good athlete. Should come in and provide some depth. Jarek Bernard Converse, DB at LSU, um, another depth guy, probably a second stringer. And then Zach Koontz, tight end out of Old Dominion in the seventh. I think that actually was a good pick for them. I just, like I said, this is another instance of where you just want the UDF, you just want the UDFA and you want to choose him. You don't want to have to hope he chooses you. So this made sense for them in that regard. Uh, but overall, a little underwhelming of a draft for them. I think their pick at 15 pretty much did it. I think. If they took a much more proven um, player at 15, it would have made more sense and it would have made the class look better as a whole. Um, but yeah, definitely one of the more lackluster classes. Um, but yeah, obviously there's a lot more classes. I'm not going to get to everyone in detail like we have these 12 drafts that we've talked about um, to this point. Obviously, a team's going to have a good draft, have a bad draft, want some guys that are going to be drafted before they're up on the clock. That's just how it is. I mean, it's a draft for a reason. You don't always get the guys you want. In fact, you hardly ever get the guys you want. Um, Teams go into the draft wanting a lot of guys, liking a lot of guys, having them ranked highly on their big board, and they're gone, or it's too early. And you just have to hope that the value and fit makes sense when it comes down to it. But overall, um, I liked the draft as a whole. I liked watching it. it's it's always fun every year. It flies by, um, you know, from when the first pick to the last pick, like 47 hours go by. And it just seems like, you know, all year we wait for this. I think we're already like 359 days out from the next one um, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. But you, you wait for this all year and it just goes by just like that. Um, a lot of fun covering the draft, though, as a whole. All these teams have all these different halls. Um, obviously undrafted free agents is big as well some teams care about it a little more than others but uh, you normally find some good guys in there a lot of starters in this league are udfas and it just goes to show that no one scouts perfectly there's always going to be flaws in scouting there's always going to be flaws in projecting guys at the next level and you know kind of taking how they how and what they did in college how that can project to the next level so makes for a lot of fun because, yeah, you come out of the draft thinking, oh, this team was a winner, this team was a loser. Well, we really don't know until they play against another team. Even in training camp, you could say, oh, he looks really good. But at the end of the day, it's not in a stadium with 70,000-plus fans and going at it when it really matters. And I think until you see that, you can't really judge a draft pick too much. Um, You can't hate or love a pick too much. And – Obviously, it's fun to get the big-name guys who had good college careers, but at the end of the day, we see a lot of busts year after year of guys drafted in the first round that just don't pan out, and that's what it comes down to is who can prevent. It's not about hitting. It's more about not missing, and I think a lot of teams don't do that as much as they and their fan base and organization as a whole hope they do, and I think the best teams in the league, like look at the Chiefs last year, they didn't miss on a pick per se, but I think that's what got them to where they were. I mean, getting Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round helps that roster a lot. If they if they didn't have him, I don't know if they get to the Super Bowl just because 
their running attack would have been tough and teams would have been able to delegate more defenders to the preventing the passing attack. And whereas I don't think necessarily they like hit on their top picks being Carl Loftus and um, McDuffie and guys like that, like they didn't have stellar years, but they had a good draft as a whole. And I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. But a lot of, a lot of promising prospects in this class as there always are. And it should be fun to, See how the, these guys progress throughout their college careers while also looking forward to next year's class. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, sad that it's over. I think, like you, like you mentioned, we spend, I mean, shoot, we started scouting for for the pod in, um, you know, in early January, and I think both of us kind of watched a little bit of tape just kind of before that as the new year started. And, um, you know, you do all this, all this grinding and, and all this watching and all this this mock drafting and. And, um, you know, how does this player fit here and fit here and looking at, you know, player comps and where they fit best and um, all for it to be over in 47 hours, like you said, um, you know, 46, 47 hours, especially especially the first, you know, the first two rounds is really where the dra- draft is made. Um, you know, obviously a lot. I mean, you can talk about fourth rounders. Fourth round is probably where the cutoff is in terms of like, hey, here are your re- like real contributors um, for the most part outside of special teams, you know, so. Um, you know, fifth, fifth through seventh round is, I don't want to say just all dart throws, but you're, you're betting on traits or certain characteristics. Whereas in, you're really getting high impact guys in the first two to three rounds and getting, and getting, I think day one potential day one contributors, especially, you know, definitely in the third and in the fourth round. So, um, you know, it's definitely bittersweet, you know, kind of looking at all these names on our sheet, you know, um, like Michael Mayer isn't a charger oil guy. I would have loved for to be a charger. Um, and then like Darnell Washington, you know, Jonathan Mingo, Marvin Mims, guys like that, that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, I do want to make it a point. I know I talked about it before, you know, following these guys' career a little bit more. I know in the in, in years past, we've always, you know, both of us had guys that we really enjoyed watching, kind of our favorite players in the, in the class and kind of lost sight of where they're at now. So I definitely want to kind of keep track of some of these guys and their NFL careers. Um, definitely, like I said, um, sad it's over, but very excited you know, for what my team did personally, I'm excited for it. I know you're excited as well. Um, You know, a lot of hope for every team. I think, you know, you make these picks and some teams feel like they did great. Some teams like they didn't, didn't do as well, but um, you know, I think it, it, it gives you something to kind of look forward to at the next season and kind of project a little bit. Um, And then then it gets kind of lost in sight sometimes as we, as we spend so long, you know, talking about these guys and, and they kind of get put on this pedestal as draft, as draft prospects, even going to the third round where, you know, some of these guys, they're third round picks for a reason. The NFL picked them there for a reason. So, you know, I think the, I think the NFL has more realistic expectations for players. And I think especially as I have gone further into, um, you know, my my the scouting world and and truly getting into it and the nitty gritty of it. Um, I think you realize you you tamper kind of taper your expectations a little bit for guys. I think, you know, I think in the past, I'm like, oh, man, this this third round pick's going to be like a pro bowl or like. It's unrealistic. You, you've got to be able to kind of understand where these guys are being picked and what they're being picked to do. I think it's very fair to think that your first round pick can go be a pro bowler for you. I think that's a realistic expectation. Then you can get into the third and fourth round, especially the second round, too. It's like, man, this guy could be a contributor. Don't expect a pro bowler. Don't expect, you know, don't always expect second contracts. So, um, but no, really exciting. Um, I'm very excited for what the Chargers can do. I think love their uh, love their pick of Thule. Um, come around on the Penley pick. Definitely after the kind of initial, um, not surprising, just kind of initial like let down a little bit of Quentin Johnson. I've really come around to what they can do with him. Um, so I'm very excited. Um, and like I said, bittersweet that it's over. Um, but man, I'm already looking forward to next year. 
already making a draft. I'm already making a 2024 draft take on the pod, man. I already, I already did it today with the Cardinals and Caleb. So, um, but no, man, really excited. I had a great time doing this class this year, obviously on the pod. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll kind of circle back on this draft class over the summer when you know, we really hit the, the lowland sports kind of in like July and August when nothing's really going on, but major league baseball and like golf. So maybe we'll, we'll circle back on these guys pretty soon. Um, kind of check up on them and maybe do some sort of exercise with, with the, with these picks. But, um, but I, mean, I had a great time doing these guys, doing the, doing this process and um, scouting these players and going through it. And, um, you know, I, I think the lesson learned this year is to really soak it in like while it's going on. Like we're always looking for the draft. But I think what I really I think my, my focus next year is just really just enjoy the process more. Enjoy the process. It only happens once a year and really soak in the draft itself and really soak in the process of being able to, you only get to scout these guys one time. You only get to do it once for every player. So. Um, you look at it's got a draft class one time. So I'm gonna really try and soak it up next year and really enjoy it and um kind of live in the present with that, if you will. Instead of always looking forward to the draft, trying to live in the present a little bit more in the future. But man, I really had a good time with this this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh it was a lot of fun as a whole from when we started to now. Pretty much concludes it. I mean, I'm not gonna really come back to it, maybe like you mentioned, to talk about it in a few months, but other than that. Uh, there's better things going on right now now that the draft has concluded and um we're going to talk about some of that stuff on the episode this week episode 49 i believe will be this week's edition and we're going to figure out the same day each week to put these out um i don't know i think thursday is the plan for this episode but after that we're going to try to find one day each week to put out the one episode until we have a couple nba mock drafts on Mondays. Um, but yeah, we're going to have these episodes coming at you pretty much every single week. We might have to take a week off here or there over the summer. Um, but looking forward to it. A lot of stuff going on right now. Second round of NBA playoffs are kicking off. NHL second round is about to get going. Golf, always. Some college baseball and some free agency stuff as we're entering third wave of NFL free agency. We're going to have a lot of you know highly touted names that just have waited to sign till after the draft. Now they can sign anywhere without teams having to worry about the compensatory pick formula. Um, so expect some signings this week going into next week. I think we're going to see the bulk of the signings, the Jadavian Clowney, um, Zico Elliott, Frank Clark, Marcus Peters, Leonard Floyd, kind of bigger names like that. Um, stay tuned though. We'll keep you up to date on all of the most important information across many different sports. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps this one up. Do you have anything else? Oh, I think you hit it all. Um, kind of going to be a very a varying podcast schedule kind of coming up here soon. Obviously, going to change with what our summer plans are. Don't know how kind what what that will look like. Um, you know, I got to kind of got to figure out my schedule when I get started with uh, internship and stuff in June. So, it all will change. You know, stick with us through it. Obviously, we'll still be doing weekly episodes. Just kind of. Um, got to figure out what that schedule will be going forward, but, you know, maybe a week or two off here or there, if, you know, one of us has uh, got a lot going on that week with, you know, with whatever job or, you know, whether family vacation, that kind of thing, but um, definitely, definitely stay tuned with us. Um, maybe we'll try and hit some, some more unique content throughout, you know, we're trying to try and get creative this summer with some new stuff to do. So, uh, but stay tuned with us and um, we'll see you guys on Thursday with episode 49. Yeah. See you on a few days.